millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new ebooks titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. 
www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com now. noblegoldinvestments.com This performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. RPN is not responsible for the views, actions, statements, or opinions of its guests, advertisers, or even its viewers. The information contained in this program is not to be confused with medical or legal advice. An appearance on this platform is not necessarily an endorsement. But as always, we encourage you to do your own research. Enjoy the show. You're listening to Red Pill 78. As always, my name is Zach Payne, the Corruption Detector, and this is another edition of Red Pill News for Saturday Night Livestream. Joining me in the studio tonight to commemorate the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy and the full-scale takeover of America my good friend, Corey Hughes. We need you guys to do us a favor. Please, if you would, hit that like button. Share the show. Hit the red pill if you're over there on Foxhole. Thank you very much to the uh, donations we've already got coming in. A boneless chicken. Thank you for the can. Porpoiseful. Thank you for the cookie. Tonight, Corey is going to be detailing the continuing research into the assassination of John F. Kennedy, where it's taken him. And, of course, since the last time he came on, we've had a release of some JFK assassination-related documents. Of course, the CIA and whoever it is that's controlling these things, there's still about 4,500 pages or documents per se that they don't want out for whatever reason, probably because of operational maneuvers taking place. And... Of course, there's a whole lot of disinformation, garbage coming out in the mainstream media. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about that. So sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, and I'll be right back after this with Corey Hughes. 
Our national debt is a real-world problem. Our government spends more on interest payments than it does funding the Pentagon. And Biden, well, he wants to raise taxes on businesses and the wealthiest people to use the additional revenue only to fund social welfare programs. We've gone from $6 trillion in debt to $34 trillion in just 20 years. In 2010, our debt was $13 trillion. In gold, it was $1,000 an ounce. By 2020, our debt was $23 trillion, and gold was $1,500 an ounce. Well, here we are in 2023. We have a $33 trillion debt, and gold is $2,000. An ounce. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson recently warned that our greatest threat to national security isn't Russia, it isn't China, it's our national debt. So call the proud Americans of the Patriot Gold Group today before it's too late. Mention Zach Payne and Red Pill 78 and you'll always get best-in-class service from Patriots Protecting Patriots. Patriot Gold Group has the no-fee-for-life IRA where your IRA or 401k can be in physical gold and silver and you may be eligible for the no-fee-for-life IRA on qualifying rollovers. So give them a call today at 888-857-6092 to get their free investor guide today. Patriot Gold Group is a consumer affairs top-rated gold IRA dealer for seven years in a row. Once again, give them a call today at 888-857-6092. Mention me, Zach Payne, and Red Pill 78 I want to specifically thank Patriot Gold for becoming a sponsor of this channel, and when you support my sponsors, you also support this channel. All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome back, and please join me in welcoming my guest, the esteemed Corey Hughes. Corey, how are you tonight, buddy? Excellent. Uh, thanks for having me on. Awesome. It's always a pleasure to have you. Uh, really excited because not only is it, as I said, the 60th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy, but your book has also now hit the store shelves. A warning from history. Uh, how has the reception been? Uh, so far, it's been really good. I'm quite surprised because I haven't really done any uh, type of marketing or anything, and the book sales are coming in every single day. So uh, I've been rather pleased. Uh, I want to thank your audience in particular. Uh, I did a pre-sale, and uh, thanks to your audience, uh, your audience pre-ordered over 100 copies oh, great. of the book on pre-order. So uh, a big thank you to everybody. And the book is now available on Amazon.com. Um, and uh, really, it's the culmination of five years of research, um, 90% directly from the documents themselves, which paint a very different picture than you'll find in anyone else's Kennedy research for some odd reason. Mm -hmm. There are so many glaring points that are in the documents that have been around for 30, 40 years that um, completely upend not only the official story, but what I consider the official conspiracy theory. Sure. Right? Because... You have the like the JFK movie is a great example of portraying the official conspiracy theory, right? The government approved con conspiracy theory. Correct. But when you really start to dig into the details, that falls apart. And what you are left with is a stunning picture of a setup of Lee Harvey Oswald going back almost three years to a time when he was still in, in the Soviet Union. Uh, Oswald was most certainly part of a CIA program uh, called AE Balcony. AE Balcony was a program originally launched under another program called Redskin, uh, which goes back to 1956. And AE Balcony, it extended from around 1959, early 1960, until June of 1962. Oswald returned from the Soviet Union in June of 1962, the same month that the AE Balcony program came to an end. 
The program was designed to take naturalized American citizens who spoke fluent Russian and then send them back to the Soviet Union uh, in Latvia, Estonia, places like that, Eastern Bloc countries uh, that at the time were part of the Soviet Union, uh, and basically for them to just live there and perhaps recruit new people or mm-hmm. gather information or whatever. But the program that uh, Oswald had to have been a part of ran from the exact same time from from around 1960 through 1962 in June. So the program lines up with the exact dates that Oswald was in the Soviet Union, right? So, perfect, perfect. So so what you just – I've never heard of those programs before, but it sounds totally logical. I, I could absolutely see our, our nation or any intelligence service doing that, especially considering the timing, Cold War and all that. Um, but did you put that together specifically or, or was that released in some official capacity? Yeah, no, I found that when I was digging through the old OSS documents. That's Ooh. not see that some stuff like that uh is not in the Kennedy documents, right? So the right. Kennedy files are all deemed under a heading of Kennedy mm-hmm. that you can research. Uh but the most important documents are not in the Kennedy files. They're primarily when you research the mob, they're in the mob files, right? Mm-hmm. The FBI has thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages on the mafia. That is where you'll find the links to the Kennedy assassination there, right? When you study things like the ADL and when you start to study uh, the FBI documents on Israel, that is where you start to find the connections uh, to the U.S. mafia. And none of that is in the Kennedy files. So there's a lot of emphasis on the documents that they're withholding. I can tell you with certainty, none of the documents that they're holding have any relevance to the assassination directly. What they will do is they will highlight relationships that shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. That is what I believe, primarily surrounding David Morales, Jack Valente, Charles the Blade Taurine, and a guy named Harry Haller, um, who were, those last two are mobsters who are associated with the CIA. So I think when you start to dig into those files, what you'll find is more proof of the government interactions with organized crime. And I think that's a big part of what they're hiding. Not that we don't already have the family jewels files, not that we don't already know the history going back to the 20s and mm-hmm. Arnold Rothstein and the Bureau of Narcotics, right? So yep. uh, it's not that we don't know this, but the things that they have will show relationships, I believe, primarily with Jack Valenti and David Morales, who are two guys who should not know each other. And I think that's what the, they're hiding in the in the documents. So I think there's a lot of hype on them for no reason at all. So you you brought up an excellent point. You know the idea of the government approved conspiracy. You know there, there's this this game that they play. You know telling us publicly, hey, there there is no greater like tableau to this story. You know, I mean, like you already know the truth. We already gave you the truth. So go ahead and just uh, absorb that. But then uh, in in the other breath, they're slowly allowing certain aspects of that official counter narrative to come out. So then people will see that and they will dive in directly on it. But it's a bit like looking at an impressionistic painting, right, Corey? I mean, like you are, are given just a small subsection of that painting. And you're told to only look at that one spot. And then maybe they allow you to expand your field of view just a little bit more. And you can see, okay, it's not just a blob of yellow. It's actually a daisy. But then if you're able to fully look at the complete image, then you find it's a field of wildflowers. (laughs) And there's a president being assassinated in the middle of it. Yes. So um, I think that the problem is 
if you start to bridge certain relationships, like particularly with David Morales, who is a key operator in the CIA connected to this thing, and we'll get to who the CIA takes their orders from, but when you start to connect David Morales to players in the assassination, you will eventually connect him to directly to the Secret Service men in the Secret Service car mm-hmm. who were active participants in the assassination. And so that is an American institution. And that was the eight men surrounding Kennedy at the time in that Secret Service car. And if their complicity and guilt is uncovered, that will lead to complicity within the FBI, within yes. obviously the C. It'll lead to it, it will branch out like a spider's web just from this relationship with David Morales, which is easily provable from the photographic record on November 22nd, where David Morales is in Dealey Plaza. So, so what, what do you think about Paul Landis? He is uh, one of these Secret Service agents who recently mm-hmm. came out and said, hey, guess what? I found a bullet in the limousine all that uh, all those years ago, and I just never mm-hmm. said anything until it was time for me to write a book and cash in here. Right, which is weird <clears throat> to do when you're in your 80s, you yeah. know, not much time left to enjoy your spoils. But no, he's a liar. Uh, Paul Landis is complicit in the assassination. Uh, ultimately, uh, what you have is when the Secret Service car arrives in Dealey Plaza, you have 10 men on it, okay? Although two of them get out. Dave Powers, who works with the president, he gets out in Daly Plaza. And then you have Clint Hill, the Secret Service agent who runs to the president's limousine, mm-hmm. okay? So you should only have eight men on the Secret Service car. However, by the time the assassination occurs, once the Secret Service car makes it underneath the overpass, the following photo, which is the McIntyre number two photo, it clearly shows that the Secret Service car is back to having 10 men on it. Let's take a look. So, oh, you want to see it? Oh, yeah, <clears throat> definitely. Oh. Anytime. Yeah, Corey, one of the, uh, the the most interesting aspects of an interview with you is that I know you've got sauce galore. And anytime that we have the ability to show the audience, I want to. And I also want to say, um, you know, as a as, as a, a, a symptom of that uh, that metaphor that I gave before of uh, the impressionist painting, you know, only having <clears throat> been given like, you know, one look at a certain aspect of the assassination. There are many people out there who have their minds made up about who. Who is responsible for this? And I think that uh, what happens is people just end up with this kind of myopic view of what actually took place that day. It's so much bigger than just, you know, the mob or the CIA or the Secret Service agents or, you know, I heard somebody the other day say that Jackie uh, Onassis was responsible in some fashion. And I'm not sure if that's true. But uh, what I mean to get at here is that by the very nature of what a conspiracy represents, uh, it includes tendrils, you know, almost like the arms of an octopus extending out in so many different directions. And uh, at the end of each one of those arms, perhaps you have one compartmentalized aspect of the assassination. And uh, maybe that group of people knows something about another group of people. Or even more likely, because we're talking about spooks, uh, you may have people who have only knowledge of what their specific task is supposed to be for that day. Let's take a look here. What do we have, Corey? <clears throat> okay. Um, I wasn't going to show all these, but I'm glad you, you had me bring it up here because we're going to take some time to like really uh, analyze these. So Please. to make sure that I'm not a lunatic. Um, 
So basically, you have this is the Secret Service car, 10 men on it. These are the eight visible men and the two men out of sight are Samuel Kinney and Emery Roberts. They are charged with the protection of the president. Okay? But once the shots are fired, you have two men leave the Secret Service car. You have Dave Powers, who's an assistant to the president, and Clint Hill. And so there should only be eight men left in the Secret Service car. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is just a photograph of Clint Hill on the back of the limousine. Uh, One contradiction we seem to have is that uh, John D. Reedy, who was one of the Secret Service men on the passenger side of the Secret Service car, he claims in his written statement that he got off and ran to the president's limousine but was called back by Emery Roberts. However, that is not displayed whatsoever in the Zapruder film. So we have some contradiction there. Uh, here, this is where he talks about uh, S.A. Hill moves back and forth from the Secret Service car to the limousine, uh, finally arriving uh, there uh, following the shooting. And then S.A. Bennett moves to the limousine on Main Street and returns to the follow-up car. Uh, during the shooting, S.A. Reedy runs toward the limousine but is called back, but there's no evidence of that whatsoever. So this is the McIntyre photo number one. I believe it is one of the more important photographs, I'd say top five for sure. Um, there's a lot going on here, and when I saw what I thought I saw, I thought I was kind of crazy, but because no one else has ever pointed this out, and they should have. Uh, but when you zoom in on this image here, this is the wide screen, this is the wide image, and when you zoom in, what you'll see is that you have one person standing on the side of the Secret Service car, mm-hmm. okay, and that person has a flat top. Now, the other person that you can see with the number one over their head, that is uh, Glenn Bennett. He's a Secret Service agent in the backseat, and he's holding the AR-15. Some people had speculated that he shot Kennedy. That's just ridiculous. Um, but there was an AR-15 at play in the Secret Service car, and Bennett is holding it. All right. Is that, we'll that that's what he's holding up there in the back? Yeah, right here, the yeah. AR-15. Yeah. We'll come back to that photo. So one thing that's very important is that you have this kind of game of leapfrog going on. You have the lead car moves to the side and allows the the president's limousine to shoot past it, okay? Um, And then we have some additional photos showing – there are some additional photos showing that the limousine then, again, goes around the lead car. So they do this kind of – jumping jacks or leapfrog thing for some reason, right? Mm -hmm. So here we go. We get back to, uh, this is McIntyre photo number two. Now, in this photo, um, you can't tell because I don't have it numbered, but there are now 10 men back on this car. Let me see if I can find that image. And, Corey, let me, uh, somebody mentioned this in the chat. I was actually going to ask you about it. But you said an AR-15, but I mean, I don't think that there were AR-15s back then. I mean, it was, are you just you're talking about like a, a yeah. five five yeah, six or two two three right. something like so some sort yeah, of rifle? Yeah. Okay, okay. Right, I'm just speaking uh, generally speaking, right? Okay, so, colloquialisms. Uh, I get it. Colloquialism, yeah. right? Yeah. So it was a high powered rifle, whatever they were using at the time, right? Okay. Kind of irrelevant, but okay. yeah. So here we go. We're back to this McIntyre photo number two, and now there's two additional men on the car. And those two additional men are Jack Valenti and David Morales in the number one and number two position. Now, mm-hmm. when you go into the actual statements of the two men who are on the side of the Secret Service car, um, you're talking about John D. Jack Reedy and Paul E. Landis. Mm-hmm. And so um, John D. Reedy, what he says is after he gets back to the limousine, <clears throat> after being called back by Asic Roberts, 
what he does is he says he jumps into the limousine. Now, this is in the middle of Dealey Plaza. He hops into the limousine, so he admits that he goes into the limo, but he says that he goes to the front seat. Well, he's definitely not in the front seat because this photo here disproves that. There's only two men in the front seat. It's still Emery Roberts and um, um, and Kinney, Samuel Kinney, right? So he lied about jumping into the front seat. He's only in – he's back here in the second seat, right? So it's very important uh, because then when you get to Paul Landis, Paul Landis, you can see, has a very rounded haircut, right? Mm -hmm. And all his pictures are very rounded. You can but see the you, part in his hair as well. Yes, and so when you get back to this photo – um, McIntyre number two, um, he's not there either, but he claims to have been on the side of the Secret Service car all the way through until they got onto the Stemmons freeway, which is provably false. He's in here. He's one of the eight men in here, right? So, okay. uh, but that means that they picked up two people, and mm -hmm. one of the men that they picked up was David Morales. Mm -hmm. You can see the flat top here. This is clearly David Morales, the mustache and everything. That is not uh, John D. Jack Reedy, and it is not... Paul Landis. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, if just even though this is grainy, I mean, he clearly looks to be of a different ethnicity, and you can Correct. see the the width of the nose, and even the uh, the line from the nose down the cheek, <clears throat> mustache. Right. Yeah. And so, where is it? In uh, this photo, the McIntyre number one photo, you can clearly see that the man has a flat top, right? So it's Morales is already on the car by the time they pass the underpass, right? So. Clearly what had to have happened, because the only time that the Secret Service car stopped was when Dave Powers exited in Dealey Plaza. When Dave Powers exited the vehicle, what, what had to have happened was that Reedy and Paul Landis hopped into the second row of seats. David Morales stepped on in Dealey Plaza in the, onto, the, onto the side of the Secret Service car, which is right here. Okay, you can see him clearly here. Mm -hmm. Now, who is the other person? The other person is Jack Valente. <laughs> And by my calculations and by my completely debunking his alleged alibis, I placed Jack Valenti as the shooter on the grassy knoll, even though there were two. Uh, the first shooter on the knoll was David Ferry. He fired the shot that hit Kennedy in the throat. But the quintessential grassy knoll shooter was Jack Valenti, and he's the one who took off Kennedy's head <clears throat> in Zapruder frame 313. Mm -hmm. So um, between shooting Kennedy... And the time that the Secret Service car arrives here, you can tell that the president's limousine seems to have picked up a passenger. And I believe that passenger to have been Jack Valente. And now why do I say that? Clint Hill was supposed to have entered the president's limousine, hopped onto the top of Jackie. And I think that's pretty clear that you can see Clint Hill's head right here hanging over from the back seat. Okay. This person in the stand is this person is clearly standing in the back of the president's limousine. They're wearing a black jacket and they're holding something at like a 45 degree angle that comes out this way. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, my interpretation of that is that appears to be a man standing in the back of the president's limousine holding a rifle. And I mean, it does look like a person with a rifle kind of shouldered like that, like it's right. getting ready to. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Right. And so. Let's, I just want to pause here for a second because this is where I can't see any other explanation for that. Okay. I can't see any other explanation for this head hanging over the side other than that is Clint Hill. And when you start to get into the motorcade, what you'll come to find out is that about a week <clears throat> after the motorcade, 
they did a reconstruction of the motorcade itself mm-hmm. with Clint Hill hopping onto the back of the limo. And I can tell you with certainty that some of the photographs that were taken during the reconstruction are mixed in with the original photographs, right? So some of the photos they passed off to us as having been part of the motorcade were clearly part of the reconstruction. Okay. And that, and, and that primarily focuses around Clint Hill where they show him in virtually in this location standing on the back of the limousine. However, that's just not possible. Um, this is clearly a person standing in the back seat of the limousine with a rifle. Okay. There is also a witness who claims to have seen the president's limousine come to a complete stop on the other side of the overpass. That would coincide with them picking somebody up. So um, as you move forward, we're back here to the McIntyre number two photo. And once again, we have 10 people on the car. And I believe the reason for the leapfrog between the lead car and the limousine was to give the Secret Service car a reason to slow down or stop and the limousine a reason to slow down or stop as it was being passed by the lead car in order for Jack Valenti to exit from the president's limousine with the rifle and then end up on the side of the Secret Service car where he ditches the rifle, which I believe was an Enfield 303. Now, let me get into the Enfield and why I believe that. Okay. So, Jeff, from here, the story, official story, is that Jack Valenti is on the official party bus, right? His alibi is that he's on the party bus with all the president's secretaries and a bunch of other dignitaries. And he ends up at the trademark before going to Parkland Hospital where he catches a ride with a seat with a sheriff's car. Uh, but all that is a alibi. It's a fake story that he came up with because here he is on the side of the Secret Service car and the Secret Service car goes to Parkland Hospital. From here, Jack Valente will place himself in the basement of Parkland Hospital. Mm-hmm. He places himself there alone with Lem Johns and Cliff Carter, who are also complicit in this assassination. Okay. Okay. What happened in the basement of Parkland Hospital? Uh, They found the magic bullet. That's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's get into the magic bullets. The original magic bullet, which was found by two men, Daryl Tomlinson and O.P. Wright. They were both employees of the hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, Daryl Tomlinson finds it, hands it off to O.P. Wright, who's a supervisor. Both men, when they were interviewed uh, numerous times, they declined to identify the quote unquote magic bullet as the bullet they found. And O.P. Wright explained, and he was a hunter, he had the knowledge of guns and ammunition, he explained to Josiah Thompson, who wrote Six Seconds in Dallas, that the bullet they found on the stretcher was a pointed tip, the same that he had on his person. He pulled out of his desk drawer a pointed tip 303 uh, 303 round and said that this is exactly what the bullet looked like. So the original bullet was found by Daryl Tomlinson and O.P. Wright. It was handed off to Secret Service agent Richard Johnson, who handed it off to the head of the Secret Service, who then turned it over to the FBI. It is only then, once it gets to the FBI, that it is swapped out for the Carcano round, the quote-unquote magic bullet. Mm Mm-hmm. Jack Valenti places himself in the basement. Now, the bullet that was planted was a 303 round. Where else in the story do we come across an Enfield 303, the only other 303 in the story? And that is when Buell Frazier gets arrested. Buell Frazier is allegedly the man who drove Oswald to work that morning. He was a co-worker of Oswald. But when you really get into the assassination story, you'll find that Buell Frazier's name was dropped several times by people who were setting up Oswald. Uh, It's clear to me that they were setting up 
Buell Frazier as a Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting mode, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com. Fighterflare.com. A human catastrophe is closing in. Nobody knows how far this one is going to go. You can feel the heat as tension is rising globally. War is expensive. Open a Noble Gold Investments IRA today, and you can claim a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin. Just use the promo code GOLD. Go to NobleGoldInvestments.com now. Best performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision second patsy if needed okay we're setting up additional people as patsies uh there was a guy named gilberto lopez gilberto lopez was clearly one of these low-level cia guys uh cuban uh exile ends up in new york city associates with the fair play for cuba committee and on november 22nd he's photographed in Dealey plaza he then crosses over the border at brownsville into mexico later on that evening the following day he catches a plane from Mexico City into Cuba, okay? So clearly, they were setting Gilberto Lopez up as an additional patsy if they needed it because they could place him in Dealey Plaza if they had to, uh, and they can follow his trail all the way to Cuba, right? So they definitely had additional pl- plans in the wings in case something went wrong with Oswald, but nothing went wrong 
other than the fact that Oswald was supposed to die in the Texas theater, everything with him, with him went fairly smooth. But the Texas theater incident um, and Oswald supposed to supposed to have died, I believe, um, when you start to follow the trail from the Texas theater to Jack Ruby, you'll find that after Oswald is arrested, the first call that Jack Ruby makes is to a guy named Al Gruber. Now, Al Gruber is a very important name in the assassination that no one ever talks about. <clears throat> Al Gruber is clearly the man who gave Jack Ruby the order to shoot Oswald. And Al Gruber in the 1940s and the 1950s was the right-hand man of Mickey Cohen, the L.A. gangster. Okay. okay? <clears throat> so this is where we have our connection to the Israelis. This is where the Israel connection comes in. This is one of many points of association. So Al Gruber is the right-hand man of Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen, back in 1949, he was associating with a guy named Menachem Begin, who was, he'll go on to be the prime minister of Israel, but Menachem Begin is the father of all terrorism in the world. Uh, I was just going to ask you, um, you know, obviously we had, uh, you know, uh, Jewish gangsters, we had the Jewish mob, you know, it's kind of strange. You hear a lot about the Italian mob, but like mm -hmm. the Jewish gangsters were just as integral to organized crime here in America, and they controlled certain aspects of the country. Um, but my, I was just going to specifically ask, you know, uh, it's it's one thing to uh, uh, to connect people of Jewish descent to gangsters, but can we directly connect them to the Israeli government, and you just did it. That's uh, Menachem yeah. Begum. Okay, okay. So, but and, that's oh, not I'm even so, the I'm only sorry. one. I'm sorry, Corey. I want you to, uh, I just, I have to say, Freight Awakening, I was wrong. Uh, the AR-15 was uh, first produced in the United States in 1959, uh, so uh, it totally possibly could have been right. at that time. Okay, so thank you, Fredo. Appreciate the fact check. Okay, I'm sorry, uh, Corey. So, but this relationship between the mafia and the Israelis, specifically the Israeli, the leaders of the, the, the head honchos of the Israeli government, this, you have to go back to the end of World War II. And at the end of World War II, the number one priority for the, I call them the Israelis, they're really pre-Israeli Zionists, mm -hmm. uh, guys like Ben-Gurion and Chaim Wiseman and uh, Yitzhak Shamir and all these guys, right? So their number one priority is to get a state. Right. They mm -hmm. want to take over Palestine and create the state of Israel. So um, how do you take over a state? It's really hard to take over a state unless you can. And I'm talking about America now. Right. Because ultimately, with Kennedy, the Israelis took over our country. But the lead up to that, in order to take over a country, you really need to take over its underworld. Mm -hmm. You need to control the smuggling. You need to control the ports of entry. And that's exactly what the Israelis did. Starting in 1945, David Ben-Gurion sets up in a hotel in New York City, partners with a guy named Rudolf Sonborn, and they create what's called the Sonborn Group and the Sonborn Institute. Since we refused to give the these pre-Israeli Zionists weapons so they could fight the Palestinians, because that meant at the time fighting the British as well, right? Right. Well, so, I think the French were involved over there, too. Oh, God, yes. The French were involved. The French were heavily involved with the Israelis. So, um, but the, their only goal was to get a state and here in New York, and we wouldn't give them the means to do so. So what did they do? They went behind our backs and they started uh, a 20 year, 20 plus year campaign of breaking into our armories and our bunkers here in the United States and stealing all of our surplus weapons. Wow. Okay? I did not know that one. 
Yeah, so they stole all like, and this is this connects to Kennedy because in 1962 you have uh, David Ferry and his guys breaking into the bunker at Homa, Louisiana, <clears throat> and stealing all the arms. But it turns because that was supposed to go to the anti Castro Cubans, right? Right, right. But let right. me let me tell you something. None of those arms or money or weapons or none of that stuff ever made it to the Cubans <clears throat> because every single bit of money raised for the Cubans, all the weapons that were geared for the Cubans, were deflected to Israel via a company out of Virginia called Interarmco, which is run by a guy named Samuel Cummings. Samuel Cummings also owned Adams Consolidated, who imported the Carcano rifle, which was used to set up Oswald. So you have this intimate family, right, of spies and, and weapon smuggling. And then the weapon smuggling on behalf of Israel, <clears throat> what was called the Sonborn Institute. Here you have Jack Ruby getting involved. You have a guy out of Las Vegas named Hank Greenspun, who ran the Sun newspaper, getting involved. You have huge names um, that are publicly known connected to this large scale smuggling operation, right? And so, but if you're going to smuggle out of New York and out of the major ports and you're going to smuggle out of America, who controls the ports? Meyer Lansky did, okay? Yep. Meyer Lansky and the longshoremen and Albert Anastasia and all those guys who were all Jews, they all controlled the docks, they controlled the ports. So the, and not to mention the fact that when Meyer Lansky found out that a bunch of Jews had set up in a hotel in New York and were smuggling weapons, out of the country, on his territory. Without giving him a cut. <laughs> he was, this is the weird part, instead of wanting to knock these people off because they were Jews, he was intrigued. Mm -hmm. And so he goes and he sends some guys out to talk to him, and next thing you know, you have an intimate relationship between David Ben-Gurion and Meyer Lansky directly. Wow. Okay? And so then we can back up again, because during this 1945 to 1947 era when these relationships were born, the key relationship, I feel, that really sparked it all was between a guy named Reuven Daphne, who was sent to Los Angeles by Ben-Gurion as a representative of the Haganah. He meets with Mickey Cohen. Or, I'm sorry, Bugsy Siegel. He meets with Bugsy Siegel. Okay, mm -hmm. Bugsy Siegel is shocked to find out that there's a Jewish uprising and that Jews are actually fighting and killing people. And when Daphne explains that they're trying to take Palestine as a Jewish homeland, instantly Siegel is on board and he ended up giving somewhere around $50,000 to the cause over the following six months. But then between 46 and 49, you have this development of this relationship between particularly Menachem Begin, Yitzhak Shamir, who it's funny because after the bombing of the King David Hotel, uh, what you have is you have um, – Begin and Shamir hiding out in Los Angeles, and the relationship had already been established between Bugsy Siegel and Reuben Daphne, right? So the red carpet was already rolled out for these guys. Mm -hmm. By 1949, you have Mickey Cohen doing fundraisers for uh, the Israeli cause with a Menachem Begin as his personal rabbi. And so you have a, a detective <clears throat> named Gary Ween who wrote an incredible book called There's a Fish in the Courthouse. And he talks about how in 1949, he caught Mickey Cohen hanging out with this little weird looking dude, and they always spoke Yiddish. And he was shocked to find out it was Menachem Begin. Well, there was a third guy that all these guys would always hang around. And this guy's name was Melvin Belli. And Melvin Belli just so happened, coincidentally, I'm sure, to be Jack Ruby's lawyer <clears throat> after Jack Ruby goes to jail for shooting Oswald. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have this like you cannot separate the Jewishness from the mob because really – it goes back to 1931. It goes back to Salvatore Maranzano, uh, and it goes back to Meyer Lansky putting out a hit on the only 
two Sicilian bosses, right? You had Sal Maranzano and Joe Massaria. They were the longest-running Sicilian bosses in the country, and they were only bosses uh, for about 10 years, 21 to 31. They were knocked off by Albert Anastasia and Lucky Luciano and Lepke Buckalter and all these guys. And from that moment on, the Jewish sect of the mob controlled the mob via Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky was kind of dubbed the mob's accountant. That's so ridiculous. That guy generated hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, by setting up the drug trafficking routes between Venezuela and Saigon, who he did with the help of, of Menachem Begin directly. Right. So um, when you really dig into the finances of England, which, not England, of Israel, what you'll find is that the majority of the money that was funneled into these causes like the Haganah and the Ergun and the Stern Gang and these in these terrorist organizations, most of that money came from the drugs that came from the mob in America via Meyer Lansky. Hmm. It can be. It can most certainly be argued that if it wasn't for the United States Mafia, the Jewish Mafia, that there wouldn't be an Israel today. Hmm. That's how deep the the relationship went. And then you have, once Israel is is kind of incorporated into a state, uh, you have them using a bank called the Bank de Credit International. Uh, that was Israel's first bank that they used for all their international dealings. Well, that was set up by a guy named Tibor Rosenbaum, who was partnered with a guy named Edgar Bronfman. I'm sure you've heard the name of the Bronfins before, right? Definitely so, heard the name of the Bronfins, yes. So Bank Security International was the bank that Meyer Lansky did all the money laundering through, all the drug money was sent through, and that Israel was using as their first bank for international dealings. And it was controlled by Tibor Rosenbaum, who connects us to a guy named Erwin Heyman, who was the head of the Jewish agency in Switzerland uh, in 1963. And that connects us down to Clay Shaw in New Orleans, um, and so you have this intimate relationship between the Israelis, the U.S. Mafia, via Meyer Lansky, and then Meyer Lansky is the bridge to the three big mob bosses, Traficante, Giancana, and Marcello, right? And those three mob bosses are the ones who sent shooters, with the exception of the shooter on the knoll, Jack Valenti. Mm-hmm. He, I believe, was handled through uh, a CIA asset named QJ Wynn. Uh, whose real name was Jean-Pierre Lafitte. But other than him, everyone else was handled through one of those mob bosses, particularly like with Marcelo, who sent the bulk of the shooters there, because the relationship there goes... Oh, and here's another connection I totally forgot about. Um, the oversight board, or I consider it, is uh, was a company called Permindex, and that was a Mossad front company. Okay, mm-hmm. So if you wanted to look at like the top-down structure, what you would have is David Ben-Gurion at the top, and it would filter down from there to Menachem Begin, Yitzhak Shamir, and Yitzhak Rabin. Rabin just so happened to be in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963, as was written about in his wife's memoirs. Okay? So, but from there, you have a relationship with a guy named Giorgio, um, um, Man- George Mantello. Giorgio Mantello. He's kind of an alias. His real name is George Mandel, but he was a Hungarian Jew and Mossad operative, and he founded this company called Permindex. And Permindex is weird. It was uh, supposed to like bridge the gap in European trade with South America, mm-hmm. and ultimately, it never conducted any business whatsoever. There was just a front company. It was a CIA front company, and sitting, sitting on the board of directors were none other than Dulles, Angleton, uh, Roy Cohn. Uh, mobsters, Joe Bonanno, um, Mo Dalitz. Uh, so you got all the Tibor Rosenbaum, right? Who ends up going on to be the head of, uh, the treasury of the Mossad, right? So you've got like all these guys and they all come together. 
through this front company, Permindex. And then there was a kind of a sub company under Permindex called Centro Mundial Comercial. And this is where it really gets juicy because you start to get people involved, like ex-Nazis, like Halmar Schacht and um, the brother of Shimon Perez, Gershon Perez, sat on the board of CMC. Clay Shaw sat on the board of CMC and a guy named Louis Bloomfield who was the, the, the kind of the head of CMC, um, he was stationed up in Montreal. And this is where you start to get the link between the Israelis via the Mossad to Louis Bloomfield to Clay Shaw. But Clay Shaw was also connected to the ADL and the Schlumberger Corporation and all kinds of other Mossad fronts, right? So the connection between Clay Shaw and the Israelis is, 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 is saturated. Hell, his trial was paid for by the Stern family of the legendary Stern gang, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, you can't separate Clay Shaw and the CIA's interests from Israel because the CIA takes their orders from Tel Aviv. You can bet your life on that, okay? Yeah, so, I, I mean, it's it's. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you know, regardless of you know any of these people's religion or national heritage, we're we're talking about gangsters and intelligence. It's the it's yeah. it, it's the melding of government and the illicit underground world. And uh, <laughs> it's it's all coming together, Corey, isn't it? And just because yeah. it makes people uncomfortable, I feel like you cannot deny yourself the ability to continue to look at these connections. You know, I mean, you, you keep mentioning the ADL. They have done an incredible job of stopping anybody from looking at connections that go back to the Israeli government or Israeli intelligence because, uh, you know, their whole motif is going after people and slandering them and calling them anti-Semites, you know? I mean, we're not talking uh, about the entirety of, of the Jewish people. We're not talking about the entirety of the Italian people. We're not even talking about the entirety of the CIA, which I think is difficult for people to fathom. I, I mean, we're talking about the most disgusting slimiest undercurrents of many different organizations that came together and said, hey, how can we best use our connections and our specialties to help our mutual interests, which in this case was the killing of Kennedy? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, So back to the kind of structure on how it came down after it filters down to Clay Shaw in New Orleans from Central Mondial Commercial with Louis Bloomfield in Montreal. Then that's where you get into David Ferry, mm-hmm. okay? And David Ferry and his connections, uh, uh, Carrie Thornley was another shot caller, I guess you'd say, in down in New Orleans. But that leads you directly to the bulk of the shooters, mm-hmm. who are <clears throat> associates of David Ferry, um, Sergio Arcacha-Smith, Lauren Hall, William Seymour, uh, Lawrence Howard, Emilio Santana. Those are the shooters at the Book Depository in the Daltex building. And that's kind of one crew. Then you have um, the Cleveland Mafia, right? The Cleveland Mob was run by a guy named John Scalish. Under him was a guy named uh, James Licavoli. And then under James Licavoli, you have a guy named Leo Masseri. So this brings us to the three tramps. Uh, the three tramps, uh, and I have no doubt. Also, I have to mention that Cleveland was under the protection of Chicago, right? So you had the major mob cities, right? Chicago, New York, uh, Los Angeles. But then there were certain branch out cities that were connected to them that were kind of under their protection. That's how Cleveland kind of went. So, but when you get into the three tramps, you'll find the three tramps. Um, the tall tramp was Danny Green. And a lot of people try to fight me over this issue because Danny Green hated the Italians, hated the mafia, tried to start his own mafia, tried killing all them. Well, that's all true. 
But that's in the 1970s. That was after his falling out with the mafia. And in the early 1960s, especially in November 22nd, 63, Danny Green was the head of the Longshoreman Union in Cleveland. Okay, so he was a he probably, was a bruiser. <laughs> Danny yeah, Green, oh, yeah. he, he could not be killed practically. <laughs> so, but he was a nobody when he got to Cleveland. And before being in Cleveland, he was in New York working for the Genovese family on the railroads. Okay, mm-hmm. so something I don't know what brought him to Cleveland, but he gets to Cleveland. And he's working for the mob because you don't go from being a de- a deckhand to running the longshoremen without the mafia. And so in 1963, November 22nd, 63, he's the head of the longshoremen. And he, I also put him in Dealey Plaza as the tall tramp. And so that's the connection through that would have been sent through Giancana to John Scalish. But then you also have Dave Yaris and Lenny Patrick. Dave Yaris and Lenny Patrick are probably two of the, at the time, longest-running Chicago outfit hitmen that were still left, both in their 60s, both involved with the assassination of Mayor Anton Cermak in 1933, Huey Long, I forget what year that was. Um, but Dave Yaris was certainly the shooter between the pergola and the fence, uh, captured in the <clears throat> Knicks film, also captured walking behind the pergola in the DCA film. Uh, when you come to understand who Dave Yaris is and you've seen enough pictures of Dave Yaris, it's clear the pictures of him in the DCA film are, are him. Um, and so then you have um, Traficante, and there's some links to the Valenti family from the Traficante family particularly with the assassination of Anton Cermak. Um, Cermak was assassinated, well, the patsy in that case was a guy named uh, Giuseppe Zangara. When Zangara was arrested, he was arrested with a guy named Andrea Valenti. Now, Andrea Valenti is a relative, somehow, of Jack Valenti. Because the Valenti family, when you look into the Valenti family and the relationships that they had there, you'll find some of the same relationships in Houston, which is really weird. Like, mob families, like, stick together when they move across the country. It's kind of strange. Sure. But but yeah, so those are that's that's how it's the involvement of Marcello and Giancana and Traficante, right? They each sent somebody, you know. And then you have like um up on the overpass, you have Robert Bernard Baker, who was the right hand man of Jimmy Hoffa, but still working for Chicago in New Jersey. Um and I you know, Danny Green, I put him as the tall tramp. I don't know if he fired a shot, but he was a sniper trainer in the Marines. Then he was working for the mob. So I really, you know, it was to me it would just be common sense to have him there. Put your skills and, to use, yeah. And why wouldn't you have him there with a rifle in his hand, being the head of the longshoreman at the time? Why would you risk that, you know, if he wasn't going to be a shooter, right? So, but uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how the, the the shooting went. Um, and then Valenti obviously escapes uh, with a Secret Service car to Parkland Hospital. Now, um. All of my notes are available. If people want to access my notes, uh, that's all done through Buy Me a Coffee slash JFK Book. You can access my notes there. But there's a lot in my notes that I don't put in the book that will – honestly, the notes are like three books worth of material. Mm-hmm. So, um, But there's a lot of stuff in there that breaks from the orthodoxy of Kennedy research. For example, I have no evidence, and nor do I believe – that Lee Harvey Oswald was present in the book depository or Dealey Plaza at all on November 22nd, 1963. Now, when I say that to people, especially longtime Kennedy researchers, because longtime Kennedy researchers are the most stubborn when it comes to adapting to new concepts. But when you go over all the evidence of Oswald having been there, the first thing that tipped me off was I'd say about 30% of the statements from people who work in the book depository when they're interviewed by the Dallas police, 
had never seen Oswald ever until he appeared on television. Mm -hmm. And that included O.V. Campbell. O.V. Campbell was the head of the book depository. He's allegedly the one who hired Oswald. But, yeah, he claims to have never seen him until he showed up on television. Um, I believe he was being impersonated there by a man named William Seymour. William Seymour, I believe, was one of two men who was impersonating Oswald everywhere. When you start to dig into the various sightings of Lee Harvey Oswald, they all fall apart. The story of Lee Harvey Oswald, this dissident communist, is generated by a series of events, right? Number one is association with Fair Play for Cuba Committee, which in my book I thoroughly debunk. He never had any association with Fair Play for Cuba Committee. He associated with Kerry Thornley, and Kerry Thornley associated with Fair Play for Cuba Committee as part of the setup of Oswald. But when you start to go through every incident, like the shooting range and the incidents at the Carousel Club and all of these various things that are supposed to have involved Lee Harvey Oswald, they all fell apart, uh, and I could not find Oswald anywhere. In fact, I cannot locate Lee Harvey Oswald, the Lee Harvey Oswald that we know as Oswald, at all anywhere in the story until he shows up at the Texas Theater. And so every single incident that I researched ended up being either William Seymour which was, to me, fairly easily provable because he's always... Many of these incidents where Oswald is cited, he's cited with a large, husky Latino with what was often described as a pockmarked face or a guy who had moles on his face. And there's only one of those in the story, and that's a guy named Lawrence Howard. When you study Lawrence Howard, you realize he traveled back and forth between Miami, New Orleans, and Dallas as part of this crew surrounding David Ferry for over two years with a guy named William Seymour. And William Seymour was a dead ringer for Oswald. Mm -hmm. And I can put William Seymour clearly at the Texas School Book Depository on November 22nd, where he's captured in the Robert Hughes film. And from there, I recreate all of his movements throughout the building, including the encounter uh, with uh, Baker and Truly, allegedly, where he meets Os they meet Oswald on the second floor drinking a Coke in the lunchroom. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that never happened. That's a complete myth. The actual incident happened on the stairwell between the third and fourth floors. So there's a lot of myths in the Kennedy lore, right? And so I do a, I think I would do a pretty good job of debunking a lot of these myths in my book. Um, real quick, it looks like maybe I missed, did I miss something over here, guys? I see you tried to tell me something. Um, Freight Awakening had said, Ben Shapiro shut JFK. <laughs> he's really 85 years old and he's just aged really well. Just my take. Also, no links in the no links in the description. What the hell's going on? I definitely put the links in the description. Hold on just a second, guys, because I need to make sure that uh, we definitely. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill which may never exist. But believe it or not, I may have found the next best thing. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviewers can't be wrong. Simply place your order now to get 51% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com. www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Hang on. Uh, there is the link to Corey's website. I just put that on all the chats. And then this is the link to Corey's book. And actually, RN. Aaron Gismus, Aaron Gismus uh, said, get Corey's book, A Warning from History on Amazon. And thank you very much for dropping that. Um, yeah, I actually did put the links in there, and uh, that means something's going on with Rumble. So let me just edit the description real quick. 
what the heck? Oh my God, there's nothing in the description. That's not no, that's not uh, that's not normal. What the heck is going on? Uh, let me go ahead and uh, update that because that's definitely not what should be happening. That's very strange. Very very strange, Corey. It is a bit odd. Yeah. Okay. So I just updated the description and we should be good to go. So sorry about that. Thank you, Fredo, for allowing for for letting me know and Lisa as well and Debbie. Uh, hang on, I got to refresh now and make sure that this is working right. Uh, yes. Okay. I see it now. I see it now, guys. So everything should be there. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Um, we are going to be opening up the phones here in about nine minutes. Our first caller is already on the line. So if you have questions for Corey, if you have any uh, uh, any any aspect of this, uh, his research, uh, what we've talked about so far that you want to drill down on or you want to question him about uh, perhaps some connections you've made, I'm sure that uh, he would be uh, more than happy to answer those questions and talk about some more of this stuff. Corey, um, another name that recently came up through official sources is apparently uh, a, a CIA agent who was intercepting Oswald's mail, Ruben Efren. Uh, do, you, do you think that Ruben Efren is just a, a, another distraction? Uh, well, he's another piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, it's not irrelevant, but it's not um, earth-shattering either. You know. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's funny when you look at the list of whose mail that they were intercepting. It was it was an interesting list. Who who, who else were they uh, were they gathering mail? Oh, from? They, they they had some celebrities on there, uh, people who were suspected spies. Um, but yeah, it was weird because they you know they how often did they say they didn't know anything about Oswald? Right. But yet they mm -hmm. were intercepting his mail. Yeah. So. No, it's it's clear that there there was definitely a relationship there. All right. Yeah. So um, I'll tell a little story. Please. Uh, uh, this is a secondhand story from Ryan Dawson. Everyone should know who Ryan Dawson mm -hmm. is. He's a good friend of mine. Anti neocon report. Yep. And so he's uh, the OG Kennedy researcher, but he just doesn't talk about it publicly. But that guy knows probably more about Kennedy than I do. Mm -hmm. um, but. And as far as uh, the phone call Oswald allegedly made from jail to Nags Head, North Carolina, uh, to a guy named John Hurt. A lot of people have gone to a lot of trouble to kind of debunk this story that Oswald ever called this guy, but in fact he did. Well, it turns out Ryan Dawson's father owned a business and employed a guy who turned out to be the son of Oswald's real naval intelligence handler. And so Ooh. Ryan Dawson is sitting on a treasure trove of first-hand information that he collected from Oswald's naval intelligence handler and his son. Uh, say wow. He told me he used to go out on boats with them, and they used to talk about the assassination. So hopefully we can get Ryan to talk about it one day. But, yeah, so it seems as though um, underlying the CIA activities was a naval intelligence background, So which makes perfect sense because he was in the Marines with a guy named Kerry Thornley. And when you get into Kerry Thornley, mm -hmm. oh, my God. Kerry Thornley, and I think he's the most important person in the assassination in regards to the setup of Oswald that is completely ignored. So Kerry Thornley joins the Marines in 56, but he doesn't actually enter until 58. Um, he ends up with Oswald in a Marine air squadron where they learn the, um, you know, how to read the radar and stuff, the, uh, the air control operator. And so he ends up in Atsugi in the same unit that Oswald had already been in, but then returned to the States, right? So it's Air Squadron number one. 
when he's over there, he starts to do research on Oswald, and he gives a fake name of Rick Thornley. So he's using an alias in 1959, October of 59. And this information was turned over to Jim Garrison by a guy named Ronald Schwinghammer, who basically said that by October of 59, Kerry Thornley had started to write a book about Oswald. He was keeping tabs on Oswald and everything Oswald was doing, asking questions of people who knew Oswald. He gets back to New Orleans in January of 1961. Immediately following his return to New Orleans, we have the first known sighting of an Oswald imposter at the Bolton Ford attempting to purchase Jeeps on behalf of the Friends of Democratic Cuba, which was an operation being run out of 544 Camp Street, which is where uh, Guy Bannister and David Ferry and all of them had an office, right? Mm-hmm. Sergio Arcacha, they all met there. And that was where the Cuban operations allegedly were being run out of. So there's a great effort put into linking Oswald with the Cubans and with David Ferry and with all these cats down in New Orleans. However, it was never Oswald who associated with these guys. It was Kerry Thornley who was mistaken for or actively impersonating Oswald. And so when you start to get into the duplicate Oswald sightings and places that Oswald is alleged to have been that he couldn't possibly have been because he was either in the Soviet Union or provably elsewhere – what you'll find is that Kerry Thornley was one of the Oswald imposters who was setting him up, mm-hmm. primarily in New Orleans, because most of the setup of, of Oswald in Dallas was being done by William Seymour. But Kerry Thornley, when you look at pictures of him in 1962, 1963, and when you read witness statements of people who knew both Oswald and Thornley, they'll tell you bunking the specifics. Uh, of each one of these Oswald incidents, of which really there's over a hundred. I could probably do another book just on these Oswald incidents because Harold Weisberg in his files detailed, he has well over a hundred PDFs interviewing people and all these witnesses with all these different incidents where people saying that they saw Oswald when it couldn't have been Oswald. So I I honestly think you should, because I think the last time you were on, maybe it was the first time you were on, we went through a whole bunch of those. And that was fascinating to me because I had never heard of that before. And I'd always wondered, you know, how can they place Oswald at all of these different places? It just didn't seem humanly possible. And obviously, uh, from what your research has shown, uh, it, it wasn't. I mean, it was obviously a whole bunch of different people impersonating him. Now, interestingly, I had, I did not know this. Carrie Wendell Thornley was the co-founder of Discordianism, uh, yeah. which is uh, uh, this. I don't know. Like, it, it, it's a religion. It's a quasi religion. Uh, but he's an atheist, and uh, there is a, a religious text called the Principia Discordia. Right. And yeah. um, and this falls right in line with like the kind of CIA uh, social experimentation uh, that's done. You know, that has been done since their foundation. Yeah, that's a CIA counterculture movement. Yes. Like, plain and yes. simple. The CIA just went buck wild in the 60s and 70s, in, in, invading and to an extent creating counterculture movements. Yeah. I have no doubts that Discordianism was one of them. Uh, him and Robert Anton Wilson, the, he's admitted CIA, you know. Yep. So, like, when you go back and you start to research Kerry Thornley, you realize he started to get into the, the Discordian thing back in the 50s. Uh, before he was even in the Marines. He talks about how he was writing these kind of concepts. So I have no doubts it was some kind of joint project that he kind of brought to the CIA for funding or whatever, you know. Because another thing I want to bring up is like in Kennedy, and it kind of connects to Discordianism, because Discordianism, I have no doubts, gathered money and somehow laundered money, right? And so when you study the assassination, you'll come across a handful of these like one-man churches or the Abundant Life Temple in Oak Cliff where Kerry Thornley head out hit out after he killed Tippett. 
you'll find that these odd churches are everywhere and that really what they all seem to be, and they all seem to be connected to the Cubans too. Mm. So all of these Cubans were connected to these one-man churches. And it turns out that these were really just money laundering operations. You know, these were tax-free laundering, money laundering operations. Um, and so, yeah, when uh, and that connects us to like the idea that the anti-Castro Cubans were involved in the assassination. And when you really get to the ins and outs of the anti-Castro Cuban movement, what you'll find is that none of the damn anti-Castro Cubans gave a damn about Cuba. None of them. All of these uh, organizations, like their friends of Democratic <clears throat> Cuba, uh, these were all CIA money raising and laundering operations that were connected to these one man churches, and like none of that money ever made it to Cuba. Ever. What about the uh, CIA? What about uh, Rafael Cruz? Uh, he, he's he's involved in there somewhere somewhere, isn't he? Wasn't he like passing out leaflets, hanging out with Oswald? Okay, so he's not. No, he was not involved <laughs> with that. But I'll tell you what, he was involved with. He was working for Humble Oil and George Bush in New Orleans at the time. That means no matter what, he's knee-deep in the assassination just by his association. He's guilt by association no matter how you cut it. Yeah. Did he know about the assassination? I have no idea. It doesn't even matter. He was working for people who knew about the assassination. Sure. So, But sure. I'll tell you this much. That came from Donald Trump. I know it came from Donald Trump. I know. I know. <laughs> that information did not exist yeah. prior to Donald Trump saying that. Yeah. Yeah. How the hell did Don- Donald Trump is not a Kennedy researcher. Somebody told him that. Well, you, Donald Trump was connected to Roy Cohn. Yes, that's and, that's, <laughs> and so, but like, Donald Trump has got to be no more than one person away connected to the assassination organizers. Absolutely, like, no matter how you cut it. So he was he was also very close with uh, Richard Nixon, and I think Richard Nixon probably had his own internal investigation going on. And we know that there was a whole bunch of uh, 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 minutes that were missing from all of his tapes. And I've heard it said that uh, that those aspects of those tapes were focusing in on the assassination. Um, before we open up the phones. Uh, I'm about to bring uh, the first caller in. I uh, want to say thank you to Fredo. He says, great show and great to see you on again, Corey. Excellent research. Did you ever watch Quantum Leap? I wonder how accurate their depiction of Oswald was when Sam leaped into him. I was a big fan of Quantum Leap, and uh, I just only very, very lightly remember that episode. It's kind of funny you mentioned that because I actually recently watched the entire Quantum Leap series, and I even watched the new remake of Quantum Leap. Oh, I couldn't bring that- myself to do it. It was awful. Besides... Besides being ultra woke, the, mm-hmm. the underlying stories are pretty good. So I put yeah. up with the wokeness for it. Okay. But um, no, that image of Oswald is a joke. Marina was in on the setup from day one. Okay, so yeah. they knew Oswald was a spy when he got to the Soviet Union. So they're like, oh, ha, ha, screw you guys. You're taking this woman back with you, right? So they sent a spy <laughs> yep. with him. She gets back, and virtually on day one, she's working with whomever as part of the setup. I can tell you with certainty, she's connected to Carrie Thornley. A big chunk of the Carrie Th- of the uh, Oswald sightings that I have attributed to Carrie Thornley, he's seen with a pregnant woman and a child. Okay, there's three pregnant women in the story. Okay, one of them I can't identify. One of them is irrelevant, and the other one is Marina. And so she was obviously in on the setup of Oswald with Carrie Thornley while Kerry Thornley was impersonating Oswald in certain places like <clears throat> Alice, Texas, where he goes to a radio station looking for a job on the way back from Mexico City. So, yeah, Marina was in on it. Uh, he was – Oswald was not a violent person at all. He never beat her. He never did any of that stuff. is all fiction that she made up. 
She is responsible for signing the name Alec Heidel on the selective service card that mm-hmm. they allegedly find on him, what was planted on him. Um, and she signed the back of the photograph, Hunter of Fascists, Lee Oswald. That was her handwriting, not Lee Oswald's handwriting. So she, number one, spoke pretty goddamn good English when she got here, even though she pretended she didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number one. Uh, and she was clearly in with whomever was handling the CIA setup, uh, which if it's in New Orleans... I've, I've kind of identified some of the handlers of Terry Thornley, Clint Bolton, Bud Simcoe, uh, Martin McAuliffe, who was a professor at uh, LSU. These guys were direct handlers of Kerry Thornley in New Orleans, so they had to have been in on the connection with Marina as well. And you know what? I, I don't know if we talked about this before, but I just found this looking up Kerry Thornley. He wrote a manuscript based upon the uh, a fictionalized account of – Lee Harvey Oswald's defection to uh, to Russia and uh, you know, all of this stuff about Oswald's life uh, when he technically shouldn't have had the information. It was finished before the assassination took place. Right. So I think it goes to show that there is a deep underlying relationship when it comes to that stuff. So when you when you get to uh, Kerry Thornley in particular, and I feel like everybody should read this if they don't read anything else in the in the Kerry Thornley main file and Jim Garrison's files yep um there's a 50 page affidavit that he wrote out yep it is basically a confession when you get through it he links himself to david ferry guy bannister carlos marcello all of his handlers i feel it was written 15 years after the assassination it reads straight up like a confession absolutely all right caller you're on the air with us uh make sure you've got your stream muted in the background did could we get your name yes my name is DJ. DJ, good to hear from you, man. How you been? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've been having that problem with, with the TV. Let me tell you something, man. I, I tried everything. I called the, the cable company. They said it's your, your cable's working fine. I called Samsung. So Samsung told me that I have to manually reboot my whole TV. Mm-hmm. So which is going to wipe out everything. They, sure. they said you need to wipe out everything and reset the TV. And I'm like, that's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there. I can't remember the passwords and right. all that. So it's not working on Rumble, but I watch you know, I'm watching on my laptop right now. Right on. Good. Glad, new, glad to hear from you. You got a new background. I did. Yeah, I, I upgraded the studio. I put in the uh, this uh, this uh, this wood paneling. It's like sound absorbing material. It's like felt with uh, with wood slats on it. And um, yeah, so uh, Lisa and I did this last week. And at the same time, we we were still working on the bathroom. But uh, over the last like four days, I, I've been like taping and painting and uh, going around all of the stuff that I can't move. And uh, that's almost done. After the show tonight, I've got one more coat that I have to do on a couple of walls, and then I think uh, it's going to be ready to rock. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so is is Lisa still Lisa's? Red pill fiance. Yes. Still, did you make it? <laughs> still red oh, pill fiance. Yeah, still? It's it's the the plans are in the works, but uh, yes, it's still happening. But she's still red pill fiance. Okay. Remember, I'm the DJ. I know, brother. I know. <laughs> There's no, no way around that one. <laughs> Listen. So so this is a very interesting podcast you got on here, and Corey, you, you got a lot of information. Yes. But the one thing that struck me the most about the information that he was giving was of the Jewish mafia mm-hmm. and how, like, mainly it was run by the Jewish mafia. 
that ties in kind of with uh, I don't know the guy's name. The other guy that you had on, and he had uh, like a six-hour movie that he put together. Oh no, th- that's Corey. That's Corey. This is this is the third time <laughs> he's come you? on the show. Yeah, that's him. I think he's got different facial hair, but yeah, that's him. <laughs> he doesn't look the same. <laughs> it, 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 it's him. Trust me. <laughs> So it was you, Corey, that yeah. said this was like a a, a, um, a ritual, like a, yep. a, a, a ritual? A, a, oh, wow. a, a symbolic Purim festival. Right. So here's the deal. When, right. you get into, when you start to get into the occult aspect of this, and there is, which had to have trickled down through Meyer Lansky's rabbi. Meyer Lansky had a tight relationship with his rabbi, and I say that because you get these people conducting the same ritual at the assassination of Cermak back in 33, <clears> right? <throat> so... I mean, that's wild stuff. Uh, they're clearly in the audience, and they're clearly in the audience in Dealey Plaza. Um, but it's a, here's the thing. When it comes to the occult Jewish ritual stuff, after the destruction of the temple, Jews were not allowed to commit sacrifice because there was nowhere to commit them anymore. They had to be done at the temple, right? Hence this rush to destroy this temple and build the third new temple, which is what's going on today in Israel. But there were two exceptions. You could uh, commit a sacrifice at a Purim festival. It was one of the exceptions. And therefore, when you go back and you look through all of these different assassinations through history, you will find in the crowd, you will find people in this ritual garb, this Purim ritual garb. I don't talk about that at all in this book. That's going to be in the next book I'm doing, which I've already outlined. So so what other assassinations have have you noticed this? um, Primarily Cermak, um, although... um, Another researcher has found them at some other places that he won't tell me. But uh, <laughs> he's saving it for his own book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I would look at like I would I would look at things like Kent State. I would look at the assassination of uh, Martin Luther King. You know, Robert Kennedy, that mm-hmm. big crowd there with people in costumes in the crowd. You know, th- yeah. this this is the, the reason this is fascinating to me is because I feel like this is an occult angle that I don't I've never heard anybody else go down that road. You know, I mean, like, I mean, DJ, think about how many times we've talked about, you know, the various occult aspects of so much of these dark things that we talk about. We know it's there, you know, but I mean, like, I don't I don't have any information about this particular angle. So I've never even thought to look at it. It's like why let a good sacri- why, why why let a good killing go to waste? There you go. We might as well do the sacri- We might as well do the ceremony at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it seems it seems correct to me. You know, it seems correct to me knowing that you know they work with they're all occultists and they work with numbers and you know they're all satanists. So why why wouldn't it be? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The uh, whatever whatever these these evil people, no matter where they're from or like what religion they claim to be, I, I think you're right, DJ. I think at the end of the day, they're they're Satanists. You know, I mean, like they are they're they're not, they use these religious robes to shelter themselves and use that as a, a point of deflection when people come after them. You know, I mean, we see it all the time. I mean, and it's it's especially pertinent right now, you guys, because of what's happening in uh, in Israel between Hamas and uh, the Israeli government. You know, I mean, y- you've got like this incredible division going on right now in the United States. And if people are on one side or the other, you're either an anti-Semite or you're an Islamophobe, right? I mean, like there's no middle ground. I'm I'm a pacifist. I don't want people to die in a war. That's all I care about. Me, me, me as well. Yeah, me as well. You know, you know. Funny thing, you know, he's mentioning these, these costumes and on the, the festival of Purim, 
you know, they were having a music festival when uh, this attack on Israel happened. They did. Yeah, so that might be an angle you you want to look into on that. That's it. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's totally possible. So, Corey, one interesting aspect about that festival, it it was supposed to be held in another location. And 48 hours before it was scheduled to be held, they hastily changed it to this new location, which was not well guarded, which had all of this like open space. They didn't have the, the same sort of IDF setup that they normally would in a situation like that. And it left all of those poor people open to what happened. And, you know, I, I'm, DJ, I don't know if you've uh, if you've seen me talk about this yet, but I mean, I, there, I just don't believe that the most well-fortified border in the history of creation uh, would fail at so many separate points all at the same time. You know, you've got the, absolutely yes. You, you've got and, the, the Five Eyes nations, and, and and then you know, I mean, they they all have uh, interests with Israel. Everybody is talking. All these intelligence agencies. It, it's ridiculous to think that nobody gave them a warning, or that like you know, every square inch of that border is patrolled it, it it's uh it's got electronic sensors there's cameras you know i just find it completely inconceivable that everybody was away on a coffee break for 7 hours i watched i watched uh, a few things on this and one of the things that i watched uh was bb he was talking and he said that he doesn't understand what happened he had no warning of this from his intelligence communities, none of his commanders, no one warned him. None, nobody warned him. He said, of all the intelligence, no one warned him. And the other thing that I watched was there was this woman, uh, she worked for two years on that line, on that fence, yep. and, you know, looking at those cameras. And she said, when those people work looking at those cameras for their shift, they do not take their eyes off that camera, the whole shift. Yep. She said, because... If a piece of paper yep. blows in that area and they detect it and you don't see it and get out there and correct it or alert somebody, you get in trouble. Absolutely. Said, this is the most secure border in the world. Yep. Another thing Another I have to thing. question is I'm not so sure about that because the Mossad is, ama- is really good at propaganda, or at least they were for a long time because the recent propaganda is garbage. But like them promoting the idea that they have a – their NSA is a hundred times the size of ours, and all this all this stuff they tell us, I think, is just a bunch of big talk. Uh, so I think what happened is a combination of uh, they let it happen, they knew it was going to happen. Hamas was created just like Al Qaeda mm-hmm. by them, yep. and so <clears throat> this, this is just like their own nine eleven, almost exactly that they did yes. it to themselves. Yep. And uh, but at the same time, I don't buy that they're the, like this impenetrable fortress, like Iron Dome. From what I've been reading, is pretty much our leftover junk, you know. Well, you so, know, the thing about it is, Corey, the Iron Dome is the last line of defense in missile shields. There's actually four other missile shields that are meant to intercept projectiles or whatever it is coming through at higher and higher levels. So that would mean that all of those other missile shields either failed or, you know, as you're saying, perhaps they just don't work in the way that they're advertised. Another thing that what Trump said uh, a few rallies ago, he said that, you know, I, I don't know what happened. Basically, the way he put it was like, I don't know how, what happened, 
But I saw uh, one of the IDF generals or some one of the generals on TV, and he was saying, you know, we're solid all the way around, but, you know, as long as they don't attack us in the north, you know, that's our weak spot. As long as they don't attack us, <laughs> attack us in the north, we're, we're safe. Trump's, Trump's like, what, what a stupid statement. Why yeah. Do you say that? Yeah. It's about the dumbest <laughs> you know, thing I can say. that's where they got attacked. Oh, my God. Um, Real quick, uh, let let me say thank you to uh, Emily UK. Good to see you, Emily. She says, I miss you so much, Red Pillow. I want to say hi to you. And Lisa, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, Thank you to Mighty Patriot for dropping that phone. And then Akira also said, uh, Red Pill, thank you for having Corey back. This is incredible. I'm glad you guys are enjoying it. Uh, Okay, so, DJ, do do you have any uh, any other questions for for Corey? Because we've got a whole host of people on hold, and I don't want to miss out tonight. No, no, I don't. I don't want to take that much time. It was good speaking to you. I miss, I miss you. I miss, I miss you, you too, brother. A lot. But I'm going to get everything straightened out, and I'll get back in it. Okay. Um, listen, have a great holiday coming up. You too, brother. You know, God bless you and your family. And make that woman an honest woman. I know, I know. Don't, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to. And let me let me give you uh, something that might help. You can download an app for your phone, no matter what kind of phone you have. Uh, it's called Samsung Smart Things, and it, it will connect to your TV or any other Samsung appliance, and it lets you control it from your phone. So it makes it a lot easier to like re-enter passwords or, or email addresses and stuff like that. It just it, it also might save your passwords for you if you do have to do the reset and go back in there. All right, thank you, thank you. No problem. I wrote it down. Thank you very much. All right, cool All right beans. brother. Much okay, love. I know you love us, and we love you. God bless us all, and God bless America. Have a happy holiday, everyone, and everyone in the chat. Absolutely. Good to hear from you. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. All right, brother. All right. And let's see. Uh, we've got another thank you from Fredo. He says, uh, SGT Report had a great video released today about Israel with James Perloff as a guest. Recommended watching, and not to be a gunnels, but I think Iron Dome is faking K. Yeah, you know, I mean, pretty much everything is propaganda nowadays. If you're not questioning what you're being told, then you're asleep. Okay, let's bring in the next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? Uh, Aaron Morieri. Aaron, good to hear from you, brother. What's going on? Hey, uh, and, and hello, Corey. Uh, great show tonight. Um, I, I don't know. I just remember when Trump released some of that JFK uh, assassination information. Mm-hmm. One of the little nuggets that I thought was interesting was that they had to replace the uh, windshield of, of the uh, limousine because it had a bullet hole or two in it. And they actually had to replace it twice because they broke the new one putting it in. Hmm. Had you heard that? Well, I'm pretty familiar with the windshield and the damage to the windshield. And honestly, um, the only thing the damage to the windshield would prove, uh, they try to say is maybe proof of a shot from the front, but I don't believe so because the shot from David Ferry that hit Kennedy in the throat did not go through the windshield. And you look at the angle of how the vehicle was, it was clear that it went straight around on the side. Uh, so I believe if there was damage to the windshield, it was done by Emilio Santana, who was the shooter at the Daltex. And the shooter at the Daltex was not inside the building. He was outside the building. Underneath the fire escape, there's a ledge. So there's a series of events that happens uh, once the assassination goes down. You see Officer Baker, who will eventually uh, allegedly run into Oswald inside the building, 
Um, well, I rewrote that entire timeline because I believe that Emilio Santana, the shooter at the Daltex, was actually arrested in Dealey Plaza by Officer Baker in the moments after the assassination, which for me forced me to rewrite the entire timeline. But that shot would have come from the Daltex if there was damage to the windshield, uh, maybe associated with the, with the uh, shot that hit the curb that uh, ended up causing the damage to James Tague's cheek um, when he gets hit by the concrete. But, uh, yeah, uh, I don't really get too much into the weeds on little things like that. I try to stick to things that are more directly associated with, like, what witnesses saw um, or putting people in certain places. Uh, if there's going to be an assassination, more than one shooter, and there's damage to the windshield, I think that's fairly self-explanatory how it got there. Yeah, so I, not really a big deal. Yeah, I, f- I feel like, you know, of course the windshield was broken, you know? I mean, like, it just right. makes sense. With, with as many bullets as were going around, it uh, it seems, like, inevitable. There's way more bullets that they found than our report. Offic- official story says three, but I can tell you they dug three bullets out of the limousine itself. They pulled a whole missile, a bullet, out of Kennedy, so there's four, you know, plus the three they claim, so that's seven. Um, I put somewhere between six and nine shots as having occurred. Um, you have the shot that entered the grass on the south side of Elm. Mm-hmm. You know, you got you got bullets everywhere. You have a bullet that lodged inside the upper rim of the limousine, right, like above where the visors would be. There's clearly a, a bullet hole there. So, yeah, there was a lot of shots fired. Wow. <clears throat> well, yeah, I, I remember that. I was very young. I was born in 62, but I, I was I remember seeing it on TV, and it just made me sad, even though I was a little toddler. And, uh, gosh, I just think that, you know, America died that day. You are 100% <clears throat> correct. America did die that day. Yeah. It was a coup, and it was staged <clears throat> by Israel and the mafia and the CIA, who in 1963 are pretty much one organization, and they implanted uh, a Jewish president, Lyndon Johnson, and he handed them the keys to the kingdom. And we've been an Israeli colony ever since. That's how I see things. Like, I'm a man without a country. Like I was, That happened before I was born, so I feel like I never knew America. Uh, you, you know, but they forgot. What? One they of the forgot, things. They forgot one thing. What's that? They forgot one thing. Good the good guys always win in the end. <laughs> um, I sure hope so. I feel like that's what we're moving towards, but it's just really difficult having to watch what's taken place here and what continues to take place. But, you know, Corey, I, I, I feel good about the state of America because as a result of all of the red pilling that Joe Biden and uh, uh, the, uh, the, the current political elites have been doing in Washington, D.C., people are just turning away from them in droves. I don't know if anybody saw this. I posted it on Twitter and in Telegram. But Michael Rappaport, one of the most like virulent Trump-hating celebrities on the planet, he spent like the last six or seven years just calling Donald Trump names and saying what a terrible person he is. He just put a video out saying that if it comes down to Trump and Biden 2024, he said the vote for Trump is on the table. And that's something that I never thought that I would see. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I mean, that is that is wild. But his reasoning is a little bit. Oh, it's it, it, you know, he, it's not like he's woken up, right? You know, I mean, like uh, he's he he is between a rock and a hard place. You know, like he has absolutely no concept of what's really going on. I think he's totally deluded. Uh, but he knows that what's happening in Washington D.C. right now is unsustainable. And I think he's objectively looking back at Trump's time in office. And he's saying, you know, okay, you know, was my life better off? Yes. That's the only thing. That's the only thing you can do. Yeah. 
I actually, I actually uh, met him and sat next to him at the comedy store. In no Miami way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was he? Uh, was he a jerk in real life or was he gracious? No. Yeah. He came up to me and he goes, "Is anybody sitting here?" And I said, "I've been saving the seat for you all night. Where you been?" <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he laughed, and and that was it. And we sat and enjoyed uh, Joe Rogan and Theo Vaughn and comedy store in its heyday. Right on. Right on. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. You know, I always wondered you know, what it would have been like to to be alive during the Kennedy presidency because it was, you know, the Camelot. It was such a uh, a mystical thing in in our early recent past. And then, but when Trump came along, it's like that's JFK times a thousand. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that Trump's biggest contribution is the excitement and the um what he instills in people who will follow him and because he showed us look all you have to do is do the work for the people and you're going to be a superstar mm-hmm. that's all you got to do just do the job so and uh, i think trump, that, that that's so trump released one yeah. document in the jfk files that is a crucial document that had been around like in the in the late 60s but had disappeared and it's a it's a report from the FBI from a week before the assassination. It was written up after the assassination, but the report came in before. And it was on a Chicago outfit guy named Homer Echevarria. And Homer Echevarria told an FBI informant uh, a couple of days before the assassination, he said, our new backers are Jews. We have plenty of money. And now it's up to them to take out Kennedy. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was released in the Trump documents that he had put out so but that got overlooked by every single kennedy researcher in the world who likes to stop their research at the cia killed kennedy wow i can't believe they didn't redact that that's crazy very cool well thank you once again mr president (laughs) all right aaron do you have anything else for Corey? um no great show and you know what um JFK assassination, uh, I always remember that date because that was my dad's birthday. Oh, wow. So that's how I remember it. Wow. Bittersweet. Bittersweet. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much, as always, for your call tonight, Aaron. Good to hear from you. Thanks. Thanks a lot, buddy. Take care. All right, brother. We'll see you. Uh, Let me say thank you to Coyote Patriot, who says, Zach, always a great show. Question. I saw a podcast with James Files. My BS meter went off. He says he was the Grassy Knolls shooter. He's in his 80s now. Is that dude legit? Thanks, bro. Uh, Corey, that would be a question for you. I am not familiar with who James Files is, and I haven't heard his claims. Do you know anything no, about it? He's a fraud. He's, he's a, a fraud. fraud. Yeah. Total fraud. Okay. He was let out of jail 10 years early to tell people he killed Kennedy. Okay. So. That makes sense. <laughs> Throw a little disinfo in there. Uh, Fredo says when Olbermann says Trump is on the table... <laughs> ben and Hell will officially have frozen over. Pig dicks for everyone. By the way, my mom said that she doesn't want Trump or Biden tonight. Can we trade? <laughs> oh, Fredo, we will adopt you into the Payne household. How's that sound? All right, let's go ahead and what's that? Normally, I would think that Robert Kennedy would be a good candidate until he said that he was an anti-war candidate, but he's 100 percent behind Israel like they own him or something. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's also like 100 percent on board with climate change and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of problems with RFK, but I think that he's good for the population in terms of waking up people on the left who are just, you know, diametrically opposed to Trump and and won't allow his ideas and our ideology to seep in. So 
he's red pilling people on certain things. And also he's going to split votes that would otherwise be going to Joe Biden or whoever the Democratic nominee is. All right, caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? Hey, happy Saturday night, uh, Zach, and uh, the wonderful guest, Corey, uh, Casey. Casey, welcome back to the program. Good to hear from you. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not first, so hopefully I won't feel so rushed, but, you know, oh. it's also great hearing the, the other callers call in. Um, and I just, you know, I love investigators like Corey because we're, we're sold more information and, you know, a couple of weeks back, I had a problem with your environmentalist, uh, Dane, you oh, know, because yep. when I gave him, I gave him some facts, he told me, oh, it's the rock, it's Occam's razor. All right. Well, we've been sold the Occam's razor of a single shooter, you know, the same with 9-11 and now going to be with this Hamas, the cost that it was a security failure. That, it's a bunch of BS, mm-hmm. you know. You can have Occam's Razor if you do enough of the research and you include enough of the materials. Right. Yeah. At that point, I'll buy it. But, you know, all the antithetical bullshit that, that runs around it and for you not to answer a question, it just it, it sends off flags. But uh, I just I, I, I love the fact that you mentioned the Jewish gangs because I've been following a lot of uh, Dr. James Fetzer's work in, in this whole JFK. And I don't know if you guys had heard. I guess Rob Reiner and Oliver Stone are going to do a uh, a revisiting of the the JFK material. And from what I've heard, is Rob Reiner is like embedded with the CIA. Obviously, he's anti-Trump, but uh, I, I can see whatever they come up with and find is going to be no. The CIA had nothing to do with it, so they may be deflecting back to the the Zionist movement, you know, to, to blame it on. Have you guys heard about that? I, I had not. Corey? Um, in regards to oh, the, the Zionist the, movement? No, no, no. Uh, the This movie. Well, I, I'm, I'm looking here. I just found an article from a couple of days ago on Vanity Fair. Alec Baldwin and Rob Reiner uh, are apparently going to be working on something. So a new JFK project, perhaps another misdirect. So let me just say this. Um, uh, Oliver Stone, the JFK film, was executive produced by Arnon Milchan, who is a confessed Mossad spy. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> the guy smuggled nuclear triggers, Krypton triggers, out of America for use in Israel at the Demona nuclear plant. That guy should be hanged in the public square, not be allowed to pr- produce propaganda. Like he has been. Well, so like, that that is a like a very specific reason why the Israeli government at the time and David Ben Gurion would have wanted to get rid of JFK because JFK had refused to give Israel nukes. He didn't want to further proliferate nuclear annihilation around the world. And at the time, the government was like, "Well, the only way we can survive is is if we have nukes." And so they stole the technology from America and then transferred it over there. And that all connects to NUMEC, well, the Nuclear Materials and Equipment Corporation, which Ryan Dawson did an amazing film on that. Um, if you haven't had Ryan on yet, you should get him on. I so. haven't. Uh, he, he'd definitely be a good guest. I've always uh, uh, always wanted to. But when you get into NUMEC, when you get into NUMEC, you get more into this relationship with the mafia because it was the mafia controlling the ports who were doing the actual shipping of this nuclear material to Israel. 
right? Wow. So, yeah, like, well, anybody, the point is, Arnon Milchan was a Mossad spy, and the JFK film was a disinformation film. It gets you going in circles, but the, it, everything these people do backfires, because that led to the JFK Records Act, and that led to the release of the documents, and that led to my book, right? So, yep, yeah. for every action is an equal and opposite reaction. Amen. Well, hopefully Trump will re- unredact and release all of the documents that they have further validating all your hypothesis and like i say some of them with uh dr fetzer but i i just found it very ironic that you were talking about jewish gangs and here in detroit we had the the lovely purple gang and uh mm-hmm. since they left uh you know detroit's gone to shit because we no longer have organized crime we have disorganized crime <laughs> so i i bring i bring back organized crime any day uh, and, you know, they obviously went to, to Vegas and I, I totally believe they're involved because now correct me. It's just on the whole Zionist angle. Didn't JFK have a, a mentor, somebody in his personal circle that was very anti Zionist. And he, I think he wrote it, he wrote a really good book, but he did a speech right around the time JFK was an assassinated or, or, previously before and he really came out with the explanation of zionism i mean we're talking all the way back to the writings of zothar and i gotta believe kennedy being the first catholic president the christians and catholics are really scared of zionism because if you read like i say the writings and laws of zothar going to the talmudic text you know they're they're frightening you know, you think eye for an eye is bad. Boy, the, the what they want to do to Christians is scary as all get out. Well, ultimately, Kennedy was going to sh- kill all aid to Israel, and he was going to make sure that they didn't get the bomb. But they'd been working right. on the bombs since 56. But ultimately, Kennedy was... He was not a fan of the Israelis at all. All they ever do is lie, is what he said about them. And so right. they had to take him out. It was an existential threat. You know, um, it was because ultimately what would have happened if he would have cut all funding is that the neighboring Arab states would have just taken over. I mean, they, they if they didn't have support from America, they would have lost their country a long time ago. Um, and that's what was Kennedy's. Well, that uh, that advisor, Casey, would that have been maybe Kenneth O'Donnell? I believe so. Okay. Um, there were other guys I was trying to look up at very famous, famous speeches. At, you know, I don't want to say the Friars Club, but, you know, New York Commerce. But it just, it was out there. It was in the zeitgeist, okay. you know, that Kennedy was very anti-Zionist on a religious. And back in the day, they didn't want to, you know, elect a Catholic because they thought he would be betrothed to the Pope. Sure. So, you know, and this is obviously, you know, going back very historical to the point where, I can say I'm not worried about Biden being a Catholic and getting assassinated right. because, you know, time will do that. You know, the guy should not buy green bananas. Let's put it that way. And he's not really a Catholic because the dude, if you notice, has never worn a wedding ring. I don't know any good Catholic that doesn't admit he's captured by his wife and wears a wedding ring. So that right there shows me you ain't no good Catholic and you ain't no good husband. But uh, I, I just wanted to touch on the, now, your summation with all the bullets and everything and with the Secret Service and everything, do you downplay, um, this is going back to Dr. Fetzer's uh, assumptions 
especially with Tibbet being the uh, the phony uh, 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 phony uh, JFK body in the airplane that they had to reconstruct his head. Yeah, to I show that all that came. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Is there any validity to, not necessarily the grassy knoll, but the, was it the storm drain that no. uh, a, a shot could have been fired from? No. So you've kind of debunked that. Totally. It makes no sense. I can't put anybody there. There's no evidence at all to support that. It's just a wild theory that people just ran with. Okay. Um, and on your theory, do you think if somebody fired in the Secret Service, do you think Jackie knew? Do you think she no. just had to be quiet? I mean, and, no. you know, take the cover story for whatever it was. Well, well, or I mean, deep down somebody. I mean, I mean, Corey, I think maybe it's, you know, worth considering that she figured he had been assassinated. Right. But, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I don't think she was, you know, involved in the planning or anything. Right, right. No, she gets to the to Air Force One and she didn't want to change out of her clothes because she said, I wanted to see, I want you guys to see what you did to him. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, right. so she knew. She's not stupid. She knew what the deal was. She knew it wasn't the Russians so that, or the Cubans or anything stupid like that. That, that leads to the validity of your Secret Service positioning and just, you know, it gives credibility to that scenario. Um, but no person on the grassy knoll. Yeah. Uh, Jack Valenti was on the knoll. Okay. And he did fire. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to definitely watch your special and, and get even more information because I do think it was such a turning point in our country that, you know, whether it's a case of good versus evil, the deep state versus, you know, the people's choices and everything. When it comes know, to the actual shooting, apex. I go into explicit detail in the book about how each shot was fired. Uh, I talk in depth about the book depository and about how the guys escaped from the book depository how William Shelley, the manager of the building, killed the power to the building to leave the elevators planted on the sixth floor so the shooters could escape. Um, I mean, I've got the light green Nash Rambler owned by Lawrence Howard, seen out back of the depository as the as three men escape in it after the assassination. I mean, I outline everything, the shooting on the knoll, how the Secret Service car did their leapfrog. The whole nine yards is all in the book. Uh, anything with Gerald Ford and the Warren Commission? No, I don't touch on any of that stuff. Okay, so that's all ancillary, but you want to be yeah. on the scene and, and totally detail it. So. Right. Okay. It's, it's explicit well, like detail with that and with the tippet shooting and everything that happens at the Texas Theater. It's probably the most complete telling of what happened at the Texas Theater. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, because that's, uh, that's a critical point, uh, the escape, if, if you will. And you're yeah. saying he obviously didn't escape. He was he was sent there? Yep. From what I can tell, so he, he, caught a, he caught a cab from... Uh, Fort Worth, uh, driven by a guy named Bo Click. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm assuming the statements made by Curry after the assassin after the assassination. Curry says that Oswald. They asked. He was asked by a reporter how Oswald got to the theater, and he says that he caught a cab, but with Bo Click from Fort Worth. He says it to the to the to the uh, press. And then when they question him about it, he ch he changes it up. He said, "No, I didn't say Bo Click. I said Oak Cliff, but he didn't." And there's a real Bo Click. Mm. And Bo Click was a cab driver for the Dallas Transit Company related to a woman named Bernice Click who was an associate of Jack Ruby. And then Bo Click happened to die in a mysterious small plane crash in 1967. So hmm. I'm pretty sure 
I'm I'm confident Oswald was in Fort Worth at the Payne residence all morning until he caught a cab to the Texas Theater where he met with a handler. When he gets to the Texas Theater, he goes in, he buys a ticket from Butch Burroughs, who's the candy case guy and sometime manager. He goes in and he sits in front of a guy named Jack Davis, and then he gets up and sits next to Jack Davis. Jack Davis, there's 900 seat theater and there's only 22 people in the theater. So Jack Davis is like, why the hell is this guy sitting right next to me? And then Oswald gets up and he sits next to two or three more people right next to them in this big theater and gets up and he eventually settles next to a pregnant woman. And then he and the pregnant woman have a conversation and they both go back to the lobby. Then Butch Burroughs sells Oswald popcorn at 115. The pregnant woman leaves. Oswald then at 115 goes back into the theater, watches the movie for a solid half an hour, not knowing anything's going on until the police storm the building with a camera crew and everything. And then he's arrested and pulled out the front. But then moments later, we have multiple witnesses who stated that a second Oswald, someone who looked just like him, like he could be his brother, was arrested and pulled out the back of the theater. So, Mm. um, yes, um, that is all explained in my book and the outcome and what happened there is all explicitly explained in the book. Yeah, and there's no way he could have made it from the book depository to the theater at that time. And it's just being slightly skeptical, I just. Mm-hmm. It, it almost sounds like it, it's uh, it, it's too hard to get a conspiracy and get people to you know comply with the the storyline. But then again, I got to believe the the mobs that were involved probably took care of the key witnesses, just like you know Ruby got took care of mm-hmm. Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, that's right. the only thing we know as fact, right. you know. So that's the Occam's razor. Ruby got rid of. Oswald, because God right. only knows what he would have said and who he would have exposed. So. Yeah, I think ultimately uh, Oswald was being handled and kept out of town. Um, I've kind of come to the conclusion that if we don't have it on film, and there's actually a lot of film of Lee Harvey Oswald doing various things, being on television and on the street corner, and um, I honestly believe that if we don't have it on film, it wasn't Oswald. And I believe that Oswald was being kept out of New Orleans, kept out of Dallas. I believe he was doing some kind of covert work elsewhere that had nothing to do with any of the assassination stuff. I don't think he knew any of it was going on. He was being impersonated by William Seymour and Carrie Thornley, and then he was told to be at the Texas Theater. So he goes to the Texas Theater not knowing anything's happening. And then they get him. Uh, so when he says yeah. he's a patsy, he meant it. He didn't, when he says yeah. that no one's asked him if he's killed the president before, this is the first time, I believe that was true. He didn't know anything was going on. And I believe if they would have yeah. continued to interrogate him, he eventually would have said, I'm a covert agent. I wasn't in town. I wasn't even here. What are you talking about? But, right. um, and then when he's asked <laughs> if he was at that building, he's asked on television if he was in that building, meaning the Texas School Book Depository. He says, naturally, if I work in that building. But he never confirmed that he was in that building. He said, naturally, if I work in that building. But all of Lee Harvey Oswald's previous jobs were front jobs, like uh, at the yeah. welding company and at the Riley Coffee and at Jagger's Child Stovall, which was a CIA contractor like no freaking way these are front jobs they never would have hired him at any of these places he was out doing spy stuff and they were while they were creating this legend of oswald so so was the book depository job uh, a front as well oh oh yes absolutely you got to think all the guys okay. uh, ov campbell roy truly and william shelley ran the building they were all os former oss and after the war all three of them went into cia publishing um, all the businesses okay. within the Texas School Book Depository, Scott Forsman, Southwest Publishing, these are all CIA contractors, right? Um, 
So there's a, there's like a revolving door with CIA with some of these guys and the CIA publishers like Macmillan Corporation was in the building. Um, Bill Harvey went to go work for Macmillan Company after he left the CIA, right? So there's like this revolving door of CIA contractors and, and the CIA and every single business in that building was a CIA contractor and the Texas School Book Depository who distributed textbooks. You got to ask yourself, is the CIA going to allow anybody to print textbooks to get into schools? And the answer is no, because that's where the indoctrination starts. That's where the propaganda has to begin. Thus, the CIA must control the textbook industry, period, because they're not going to let any kind of truth get into them damn books. That makes so, a lot of sense. Well, and There are only like two different publishers of school texts. There might be a few more now, but I think there were only two different types of uh, texts that could be published. So, yeah, they got their hands into everything. Yep. Um, all I can say is, like I say, I hope Trump, you know, gets back into office, declassifies everything, and we can have a special Senate committee, just like the Warren Commission, and we can call it the, the Cruz Committee. That way you can clear his dad's name. There we go. All right, KC, well, thank you so much for the call, buddy. I appreciate it. Lots of good uh, interjections here. Yeah, and uh, everybody have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll call back in on Black Friday. Hey, excellent. We'll talk to you then. All right. God bless. Take care, guys. God bless, brother. We'll see you. Uh, let me see. Thank you so much to Michelle Ann for dropping that cookie. Appreciate it. T-Webs says, uh, all this info can be true, as well as other things not mentioned could also be true. Thank you for all you do, RP. Absolutely. I uh, I don't think anybody out there is trying to claim that they have a uh, a monopoly on information. This is one of the most wide-ranging subjects that I can possibly imagine. Like Corey has said, a number of these different pathways we could go down and do many, many hours. And I refer you back to Corey's original six- or seven-hour documentary that he did, which is what turned me on to his research. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping that we can do many more shows now and into the future. Uh, next, that's, that's pretty wild. Like I look back at it, I'm like, damn, I did that. Yeah. Seven hours is a grueling. Bro. Bro, yeah, definitely. Um, and also, I want to say, you guys, a couple, like two months ago, someone reached out, and I'm hoping that they're listening right now. Um, I had a phone that I specifically got just for, uh, for like, you know, if I needed to talk to sources, and I've misplaced it. I misplaced it a while ago, okay? Somebody reached out to me by email. They had some information they wanted to get to me. And uh, I lost the phone, and I don't know how to get a hold of them. I can't find their email in my inbox. There's just too many. So I'm hoping that you're listening tonight. Maybe you can send me another email tonight, and we can finally get this taken care of. And uh, I also want to tell anybody, if you've ever reached out to me before, and I said I was going to get back to you, and I didn't, it's not because I blew you off. It's because I do everything. When we started tonight, Corey was like, so do you have a producer? And I'm like, you know, what is that? <laughs> you know, I, like it. I do everything, everything. That includes, like, you know, reading messages, answering emails, getting the guests, doing the research, putting these videos together. Okay, caller, you're on the air. Can we get your name? My ex-wife stole it. <laughs> what <laughs> shall we call you then? <laughs> I'm Papa DB1. Papa DB! My real name is Danny. I go by Daniel on my driver's license, birth certificate, and my voter registration card. Excellent. Danny, welcome to the program, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. Hey, um, I have, well, I have like 27 questions, so I'll cut it down to two or three. Go for it. Um, 
was born in 65, so I didn't, you know, experience it firsthand. Was there not a newspaper article or something as LBJ was taking the oath of office that had shown Andy died the day before, something like that? South American, you guys, they call it. Who did you say died the day before? Uh, JFK. I, I, hold on. I, I, I must have missed something. Go, say that say okay. that again, Danny. <clears throat> okay. OBJ put the oath of office on an airplane. Yes. Was that in Dallas? Yes. Okay. Wasn't there a, like a newspaper article published the day before saying that Kennedy had been assassinated? Or am I no, I don't know anything about that. Oh, I don't wow. think so. Okay. Well, I'm old, but apparently not old enough. Anyway. I'm going to look that up. Uh, go, go continue on. It's okay. Well, um, Jack, I'm just, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to call my ex-wife and get the phone back for you and send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> She's got her hands in everybody's pockets, huh? Thank you very much for this show. Corey, how, how many books have you written on this? Uh, this is my first, and I just started organizing my second. All right, cool. I, I'm a follower of, of this big tobacco of, you know, well, the book is heavily sourced. As you go through the details in the book, all of the references are right there built into the chapters. So, And if you buy the ebook, it's got direct links to all my references in the book itself. I think there's over 250 of them, 250 citations. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's all there. Um, and the here's the problem that you have a ton of researchers who come up with a lot of data. They come up with dots that need to be connected and then they present their books and they're like, Hey, here are these dots that nobody knows how to connect. And then they write 50 books about dots that nobody's connected. Well, I, that pissed me off. So I'm like, no, I'm going to connect these freaking dots. And that's exactly what I did in the book. And honestly, once you connect them and you can, once you put the last piece of the puzzle in place and you look at it and you can see it in the in its entirety and you can see how all the small details link together, it becomes obvious that it's correct. Like when you put together a jigsaw puzzle, there's no possibility you got it wrong once it's finished, right? Right. That's exactly how I yep. feel about the book. All the every single little loose end um, has been tied up pretty neatly, even though it required me doing things like rewriting some of the timelines. Um, filling in the blanks on who was impersonating Oswald, right? So I do take some, um, I do connect some dots and I make some fairly conclusive statements on my findings. But that's because at this point, to me, they're obvious. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like they're just obvious. Like I look at it and I'm like, damn, how the hell did nobody figure that out in 50 years? That is brutally obvious. Like the fact that David Ferry was in Dallas. And it sounds there's not a Ken- there's not a Kennedy researcher on the planet. 
who will agree with me that Ferry was in Dallas, but I can prove he was in Dallas. I have pictures of him in Dallas, and I've got the statements of people who he provided an alibi saying he was with who debunk his alibi. So, yeah, simple stuff like that that somebody else could have figured out but didn't, and that's what really pissed me off when I really got into my research because I started solving things, and I'm like, there's no way I solved this. It's been 50, 60 years. Somebody else had to have figured this out. But no, I was wrong. Wow. Nobody figured out anything. Nobody's where they said they were. Everyone's got a double. Uh, it was a masterpiece of tradecraft that was obviously planned out years in advance. Yeah. And, and it sounds, Corey, like you're perfectly willing to allow your, your theory to mature and evolve yeah. as new information becomes available and as you start to put different dots together. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, here's something in particular that I'm open to. I have Jack Valenti shooting from the grassy knoll. Mm-hmm. But also, there are witnesses that say a shooter came out of the tunnel that was under the overpass. Jack Valenti fled in the Secret Service car. He obviously got there. So I could be wrong about him going over the top. He could very well have been in the tunnel mm-hmm. in the, uh, in a not, and not on the knoll. But that's, a, that's something we'll never know. Right. You know, um, if I could get a corroboration of a witness statement, you know, but for the time being, looking at the angle and all that stuff and... And basically, the totality of evidence points me in this direction. But I'm open to the possibility that I'm wrong about that. Nonetheless, it was Jack Valenti, regardless of where he was. Uh, also, uh, RNG's Jim's. That's Jim. Yeah. Jim's a good friend oh, of mine. Oh, Jim. Okay. He says, yeah. who is Rose Cherami? Oh, Rose Jeremy? Jeremy. Rose Jeremy. Rose Jeremy. So Rose Jeremy is a hooker, works for Jack Ruby. She works the circuit between Miami and Dallas, particularly in New Orleans. She was part of Bobby Baker's prostitution ring and uh she ends up uh she's in a she's in a car with two guys these two guys are Sergio Arcacha Smith and Emilio Santana they're on their way to Dallas and uh they basically stop at a bar uh, the silver slipper and basically uh she's she's kind of a bitch and so they they (laughs) they rough her up and they ditch her there um and she then ends up in an ambulance with a lieutenant for named Francis Fruge of the state police and she's all strung out on heroin, so they end up taking her to, like, a rehab um, in the mental ward. And she starts talking about how they're going to kill Kennedy. They're going to kill Kennedy. And she even made statements to Francis Fruge in the ambulance um, about killing Kennedy. And uh, then, of course, uh, two days later, Kennedy gets killed. And so they go back and talk to her. And she's like, I told you. <laughs> you know, um, there's a whole chapter on that in my book. It talks about the ins and outs of that story. And then two of those guys, Emilio Santana and Sergio Koch Smith, were on the way to Dallas, where I put them at the Dow Texans on the roof of the depository. Uh, They're directly connected to David Ferry and the whole New Orleans crew. And also, Danny, to what you had mentioned earlier, the possibility of an article being like coming out before Kennedy died. I did find something about a call to a British newspaper uh, right. 25 minutes before the assassination that said, hey, keep your eyes on Dallas. <laughs> There's a big, big story about to break, which obviously shows that somebody knew ahead of time. There were two or three different yep. documents okay. that show that there was foreknowledge yep. uh, by people calling in and reporting. You know, same thing with like when Oswald was killed, like Jack Ruby didn't want to kill Oswald, but he had to. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. he, he called the Dallas Police Department and warned them that someone was going to shoot Oswald. You know, and yep. the guy who took the call said it would look sounded like Jack Ruby, <laughs> right? So, mm-hmm. you know, there was there was warnings on all sides. Yeah, Jack Ruby didn't have a choice. He had to shoot Oswald. See, Jack Ruby had cancer already. People were like, oh, they gave him CIA super cancer. No, that's BS. Like, Jack Ruby was diagnosed with cancer. Some some people say going back all the way to Chicago days. Um, but, yeah, he clearly had some sort of cancer before he agreed to shoot Oswald, which is kind of why I think he ended up agreeing to do it. You know what? frustrating about the whole thing is 
<laughs> common sense is not so common. No, no. There, there are so many different, you know, allegations, whatever, about what happened. I mean, well, one thing I'll say about common sense is that common sense it. doesn't always apply in the Kennedy assassination, and I'll tell you why. Oh, because in no. the real world. The people don't have body doubles. In the real world, mm-hmm. people aren't impersonating other people. But when the, in the world of the CIA and spycraft, they do, right? And so it's kind of hard to apply Occam's razor and common sense when you're dealing with CIA spycraft because that's the whole point of it, to throw a wrench into the mix, to get you to not know what is reality, right? So that's I it. Just, I hope that we can uh, come together and get – all this stuff figured out, bring the people that um, are guilty, not only in the JFK thing, but also in mm-hmm. so many other things. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, one of the men who impersonated Oswald, who I believe was impersonating Oswald in the book Depository, a man named William Seymour, uh, it turns out he's actually alive and he's living in Houston. Uh, oh wow! My guys, one of my guys, Tony, pulled up all his information, found out where he's living, found his, he owns a business there. So I'm kind of uh, on oh, the no, edge. Sure. I, I kind of want to contact him, but I've never like reached out to do something like that before, so I'm a little nervous about doing you it. You better record the phone call. I live, <laughs> oh, I know, right? I live just south of Fort Worth, so if you give me an address, I'll go down there. <laughs> you got researchers all over the country that'll be willing to help out, Corey. Appreciate it. All right. Well, listen, uh, Danny, thank you for the call, man. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate you calling in. You're welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, brother. We'll see you. God bless. Peace. Have a great night. All right, we are uh, swiftly approaching the uh, top of the hour, the bottom of the hour maybe, uh, coming towards 11 o'clock. Let me say thank you to Tweak, who says, Cheers, gentlemen. Support your local streamer, community.pureblood.tv. I am not familiar with pureblood.tv, but it's something that I'm definitely going to go ahead and check out. Thank you for the tip. I appreciate it. Oh, look at that, Pure Blood Media Group. It's a whole bunch of... Different streamers. And look, they even have me on the schedule. That's so cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Really appreciate that. All right, so, uh, Corey, we've only got uh, about four minutes left. I want to get your final thoughts, but I want to see if there was anything else uh, that has come up in your research that you thought was particularly notable that you wanted to make sure the audience was aware of before we close out. Um. I've gotten some new insights recently, some really specific stuff I don't think the audience would be overly interested in, but I've been able to connect the dots between Sam Bloom and the Sam Bloom Advertising Agency directly back to Bill Moyers and Kenny O'Donnell through a woman named Elizabeth Forsling Harris. We actually FOIA'd her 1978 deposition, so I have an exclusive FOIA. Ooh. Um, yeah, because basically she tried to provide an alibi for Jack Valenti like 25 years after the fact. Mm-hmm. So Jack Valenti, I have a whole chapter dedicated to this in the book. But Jack Valente's story is total BS. It's debunked by the statements of all of the Kennedy secretaries and Johnson secretaries who were all together. So these two people, Jack Valente and Elizabeth Forsling Harris, tried to butt in on this alibi story about going to um, the trademark and then Parkland Hospital and all this stuff. But 
their statements are completely debunked by all of the women who are actually involved, all of the secretaries. They give a very cohesive statement about what they were doing, where they were doing it, and when they were doing it at the time of the assassination. They never mention Jack Valente or Elizabeth Harris, but yet Elizabeth Harris and Jack Valente are all up in their story trying to get in on it, saying that they were with them the whole time, completely debunked that notion. Um, but what that brings up to me is why were they trying to come up with an alibi for Jack Valente 25 years after I wonder. Who was asking questions? Yeah. What was going on at the time that prompted this fake article to be written about it? So, but yeah, that's uh, that's to me, it's some real nerd stuff. Most people aren't interested in like the really nitty gritty. And that's what my podcast is. I do a podcast called Corey Hughes Bloody History. Mm-hmm. It is like the deepest nitty gritty document analysis podcast that's ever been. You've got to be a super history nerd to be able to sit through it because I go into like some super obscure documents and super obscure details that you're not going to hear anywhere else. So. And, and and of course, uh, you can get to Bloody History through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, a host of other podcast platforms. But you can also get there by going directly to Corey's website, CoreyHughes.org. I've thrown the link out there a couple of times. And also, if you missed it, if you're listening at home, that link and all the other links, not only for Corey, but also any of the sponsors, it can be found in the description of this video, no matter what platform you're on. You guys can check it there. Uh, before we go tonight, guys, let me just say that uh, we need to give a shout-out to the final sponsors of tonight's programs, and uh, that's going to begin with my friends at OnenessDrops.com, where you can pick up your chlorine dioxide water purification kits to make unsafe water perfectly potable, safe for you to drink. It'll kill all kinds of nasty pathogens, uh, something you want to keep in your go bag, in your camping kit, in your medicine cabinet. Now, a lot of different people have used chlorine dioxide for many different things. There is a lot of resources for it out there. If you want to try chlorine dioxide, you want to get information about it, you can reach out to me by email and I can send you the link to the Universal Antidotes private telegram chat and group where you can meet all kinds of people who have personal experience with this. Uh, also, don't forget about our good friend Mike Lindell at MyPillow.com. Uh, at OnenessDrops.com, use code RP78 to save 15% off your order. At MyPillow.com, use code RP78 to save up to 80% off of Mike Lindell's already amazing, low-priced, quality products. Everything made in America right here, I believe, in uh, Minnesota. Whether it's the MyPillow 2.0 with the patented gusset, uh, the MyPillow mattress toppers or the mattress, the uh, the slippers, the Giza Dream sheets, the bathrobes, whatever it is, Mike Lindell has it. And when you support Mike Lindell, you're also supporting his efforts to fix the elections here in the United States. And, of course, you're supporting this program as well. And then uh, also my good friends at C60 evo.com forward slash red pill 78 when you go there also use code red pill 78 to save another 15 percent off your order right now they have a whole bunch of specials because it is of course the christmas season when you buy more you will save more and then you use my code on top of it you'll save even more c60 evo if you have any questions about that you can watch the numerous interviews i've done with the owners of that company uh there is a lot of great science behind uh the uh the uh, carbon 60 molecule and C60 Evo in particular. So please check that out. Support the sponsors to support the program. And of course, Patriot Gold Group, uh, which is the sponsor from the very top of the show. And uh, if you want to get a hold of Patriot Gold Group, you can give them a call at 888-857-6092. Corey, is there anything that you want to make sure the audience has before we sign off for the night? 
Nope, I think we pretty much covered everything. All right. Just go out and get the book. It'll answer virtually every question you have. Excellent. Get the book. Subscribe to the podcast. Check out the past interviews we've done with Corey because there's a lot of great information in there. Uh, and uh, thank you so much to everybody for the uh, the kind words in the chat, for the donations. I sincerely appreciate it. One final donation from Fred Awakening. He just says, how about the Oliver Stone JFK movie? Is he a patriot? Is Kevin Costner uh, on The Good Guys in Hollywood? Was it a spin on the truth? Did Stone expose the 2014 Ukraine color revelation. It was Stone exposed the color revolution in 2014 in Ukraine. So there is that. I will say that uh, that does seem to be at odds with the uh, the designs of the CIA. Obviously, we mm-hmm. talked a little bit about JFK earlier in the show. Uh, that was, uh, uh, from your opinion, a bit of a misdirect, and I can totally see that as well. But yeah, Oliver Stone exposing the color revolution. That uh, seems like it's directly in opposition to what the CIA was doing. Your thoughts? See, if uh, Oliver Stone puts up the block and blocks the idea that Israel had anything to do with the assassination, then he would have no problem taking money from Arnon Milchan and the Mossad to make his films. He's more of a useful idiot as far as I'm concerned than someone who's intentionally scuttling the truth. Although a lot of his, he depends on James DiEugenio for a lot of the research that goes into these movies, Mm -hmm. especially the new documentary series, a four part documentary series that came out. And DiEugenio is one of the worst hacks in Kennedy research of all time. The guy has been around for 50 years. He's never solved a damn thing, yet everyone turns to him like he's an expert. So, all right. Yeah. Good, good uh, a lot of the, a lot of it is coming from James Eugenio and his poor research. So, all right. Excellent. Well, let me just say one more time, Corey, thank you so much for being here. And uh, the book is great. I sincerely think that everybody here should buy a copy. Uh, obviously, he's doing this all on his own in the same way that I'm doing this all on my own. And so, Corey, I think, deserves our uh, our respect as well as our patronage. You can also support him at buymeacoffee.com forward slash. Is it JFK book? Yes. Yes, slash JFK book. And you can get my notes there. My 650 pages of notes you can buy there. Um, it is really, it's an unbelievable collection, if I do say so myself. It's got at least all the material for my next two books. So, All right, right on. Well, get a jump on uh, the new books before they come out at buymeacoffee.com forward slash JFK book. Thank you, Corey. Thank you to everybody out there in the audience. Good luck. God bless. We'll see you Monday, 5 p.m. right here for another episode of Red Pill News Live. We'll see you then.
When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new e-books titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.